Grand Rising family, thanks for kickstarting your week with us again. Later, black politics expert Dr. James Taylor will be back in our classroom. Dr. Taylor will touch on several topics, including the politics of Cat Williams. I know Cat Williams had politics, but anyway, this is going to be an interesting conversation. He's <laughs> also going to talk about reparations and the Democratic Party. Dr. Taylor also uh, look at the ouster of Dr. Claudine Gay from Harvard and also Nikki Haley's rising in the GOP polls. We've got a lot to talk about with Dr. With, uh, Dr. Taylor. But to get a star this morning, financial expert J.B. Bryan is here. Good morning, J.B., and Happy New Year. Happy New Year right back at you. That sounds wonderful, your whole day, and I hope that we change some lives this morning and get them excited about 2024 with their money. <laughs> oh, of course. You know, because uh, first of all, are, are you broadcasting mm-hmm. live uh, on social media so the folks can uh, check out? Everywhere on social everywhere. media. Everywhere. Yeah. Yes, indeed. And every um, everywhere. Go to um, just do a search on J.B. Bryan or do a search on Afroeconomics or do a search on Carl Nelson, J.B. Bryan. And then it will pop up on your favorite um, form. YouTube is my favorite place to get you to check us out. Go to YouTube and it should pop up <laughs> because okay. we're on. We're up live. <laughs> your, cool. your cup of coffee this morning is Carl Nelson <laughs> and J.B. Bryan. All right, family, you want to look see what J.B. looks like uh, after the holidays? You can go check her out again, as you just mentioned. But, you know, speaking about the holidays right. and New Year's, uh, J.B., a lot of people make resolutions. Mm-hmm. It's usually about money and health. Those are the first two. So let's talk mm-hmm. about financial New Year's resolutions. In your estimation, because you've done this mm-hmm. for years, so you've, you've come across this quite mm-hmm. a bit. Do they work? I do. I think that all resolutions can work. Uh, they talk. They, um, the researchers say that by the end of January, you know, and sometimes even by the end of last week, the first week of the year, that people, you know, have already broken their resolution. But I think that that's a really horrible way to to look at life and how we progress through it, because our progress is a process, and I like for us to just fall in love with the process, because as someone who like for in 2025, it will be my 30th year in business. (laughs) And there were times during these 29 plus years now that it feels like, um, where you're, you've fallen off course or, you know, it's harder. Why is it so hard this year? Maybe say your 15th year or whatever, your 15th day. And, but you still have to stay the course of, and how is 30 years such a big deal? Like, you know, why, why has that all of a sudden, like, especially if people work somewhere, you know, so why is it if you mess up within the first 30 days, such a big deal? Or why is it if you decide that you're going to use your credit card and you said that I'm not going to use this credit card, but you use the credit card? Why is that such a big deal? Only if we decide that it's not a process like this, uh, getting your money right. For the majority of grown folk, it's a process. You're not going to be able to pay off all of your debts at one time. But we do need to truly fall into the, to the belief and, and the reality 
that what we do each day does create our long-term um, answer to that resolution. So even if you don't accomplish your debt freedom in this one year, you'll be so much farther ahead by having a consciousness that, oops, I used that card, I've got to get back on track. Versus, you know, um, and even with like your, your health goals, you know, oh, shoot, I said that I wasn't going to, you know, eat any sweets, but you messed up on that day or that meal. That all you do is you get right back on track for the next meal with your money. You use the card or you, you know, purchase something that you thought was, you know, you said that you weren't going to have to do, but something came up and you had to do it. So we have to talk through how to make this still work for you. Say someone had a card that was paid for, but all of a sudden they, you know, that car broke down and they decided they wanted to get a new car. Before buying that new car, you know, it's give yourself time or talk to your financial professional about what's the best way to approach this. Um, or do I have options and how to save? But a lot of times we're creating a sense of urgency for things that really are something that you could take your time and, and, and spread it out over time and, and not rush. I think that rushing on anything and a resolution should not be a rush. A resolution should not be an attack of yourself. It's kind of like where people go from eating 4,000 calories a day to all of a sudden they want to fast. They go into a deep fast and they don't feel well, you know, instead of maybe they should just cut, do a better cutoff of when they stop eating. The same with your money. Maybe you need to look at what money you have coming in, where is your money currently going, and how we're going to reach this goal that you set for yourself for the new year financially. And All right, let me jump in here and ask you this yeah, then. Uh -huh. what, what is the major uh, uh, resolution, financial resolution? When they come to you, JB, what is the major resolution? Is it to save more or cut back on credit? What, which one is tops the list? I believe that we all should resolve to increase our income. And because there's such an effect and, you know, not to um, skip on, but, but income impacts our life in so many ways that I didn't even realize it till I began to research the income and health connection. So that definitely, I think that we need to resolve that I'm going to increase my income. If you, in, if you made a commitment to increasing your income, you immediately could change your debt level as long as you don't increase your income and also increase your debt. But increasing your income makes it easier to pay off those debts. So, and a lot of the debt has been created because of, you know, the lack of income. So you're living off the credit card. The credit card balance indicates that you're living beyond your current income means. Got you. I already got a tweet question for you. Before we the tweet question, though, mm -hmm. uh, JB, you, you know, like mm -hmm. in health, uh, you know, going on a diet and then they have a cheat day and they say, OK, you can have a cheat day. Is there is there any equivalent of a cheat day for, for mm -hmm. your finances? I don't believe in cheat days from a health perspective. No, that I, I don't believe that you should commit 
um, 24 hours to doing something that's outside of your goal that you have for yourself. You know, I, I believe that um, cheat, cheat dates are one of the worst things that, that people, you know, could decide that they're going to do because in reality, the sugar addiction is right up there with a drug addiction. So when you have the cheat day, you're increasing the odds of you opening up that whole addictive behavior that caused the problem for you from a health perspective anyway. And so I don't believe in cheat day. I don't believe in, you know, I believe in um, only doing things that are going to strengthen you. Like, uh, you know, have a day of more relaxation. Have a day that you get more oxygen and you spend more time outside. So, so how do you relate? Let me jump in. How does how do you relate that to f- the financial resolutions, though? Mm-hmm. And have having the making the decision also for well finances. You don't have you know a cheat like the what you say with your finances equivalent to a cheat day is I deserve this. I deserve this. So you go out. And you just walk, you're walking through the mall and you see something, you know, and people go, I just going, I'm just window shopping, but you're not, you're putting yourself in the crack house. A crack addict can't walk through the crack house. A person who wants to improve their financial decision, their financial, you know, well-being should not be just leisurely walking through the mall. All right. Let, to, let's take that. Let's roll with that metaphor then. So, what do you what do you do? Mm-hmm. What's the anecdote? You you get this feeling that you you got to you want to spend. You don't have it. You want to use your credit card. You go you go to the mall and, and credit card or the item is calling your name and say, "Come to me." Right. How do you handle that? You're, you're in the wrong place. Go to a positive place, like outside. Now I know it sounds you know corny and everything, but literally. Spending more time outside on your own property. Like a lot of your listeners have their own backyard, um, their own park close by, their own, you know, plate, their own balcony. So spend when you, the time that you would spend on that mall, spend on your balcony, even if you don't feel up to, you know, moving, <laughs> then just sit down and meditate. The research that has shown that, you know, the, the peace and the, the resolve and the, and the better mindfulness for people who spend time just thinking. I, I was reading an article the other, yesterday that was talking about what billionaires do. And, you know, Warren Buffett was talking about how much of his time he just spends thinking. And we, we don't, we allow ourselves to just, you know, look at the television, look at some movies where, where people are telling us what to think, what to buy. But if you truly want to think, you have to give yourself that space with just you and God, like just get away from the commercialism and enjoy. Uh, and did get Buffett tell, say what, what he was mm-hmm. thinking about, uh, mm-hmm. JB? Did he t- explain, you know, yeah. just say, just, just think, what, what is he thinking about, the ball game? <laughs> you he know, the movie, reads, what was he know, thinking about? Yeah, he just, he reads constantly as well. Uh-huh. So it's just reading, researching, um, finding out new ideas, you know, thinking about creative ways on how to approach things in business. And it's true. Like, uh, um, there's also research that says, with our cardio during cardio is the time where we actually you know our think it really wakes up our brain and you really start thinking better so if you could combine that thinking time with actual walking or what i'll do i'll be, 
in front of the television, but I'll get on the trampoline. I have a little rebounder. And it just shakes you up because research has shown that just from shaking up your body, you dramatically reduce your chances of getting cancer. But so the movement, any type of movement while we're thinking is going to make us more creative. You're going to make a different decision. You're not going to go and gorge or gouge on money or gouge on food or gouge on smoking. You know, you're, you're going to make better mindful choices with our life if we get ourselves into a more healthy state and get the toxins, the bad thoughts out of our out of our bodies, out of our minds. All right, family, just on this 13 after the top of the hour, I guess it's J.B. Bryan. If you've got a, a, a resolution, a financial resolution, mm-hmm. or you're considering a financial resolution, it's mm-hmm. a lady you need to talk to. Her phone number is 800-450-7876. J.B., we come up on a break. Before we do that, let me just read your tweet, and I'll let you respond mm-hmm. when we get back. Tweeter says, please ask okay. your guest, when will balance transfer with zero interest going to be prevalent as it was prior to COVID? So I'll let you marinate <laughs> on that, and when we take our quick break, we'll be back. Family, like, again, you want to join us reach out to us at 800-450-7876 at 14 after the top yeah we're back in four minutes right here in baltimore on 1010 wlb if you're in the dmv we're on fm 95.9 and am 1450 wol where information is power and good morning again, family. 20 minutes out of the top of the hour with our guest, J.B. Bryant. J.B. is a financial expert, and she's broadcasting live across social media. Later today, she's going to be on regular TV as well um, for in Virginia, so hopefully she'll tell us what TV station she's going to be on, talking about the same thing, talking about how to save money, how to make money. And, of, of course, this is the start of the year, and many people made New Year's resolutions to either make more money or control their finances. And this is what we're discussing right. this morning. If you would like to speak with J.B., reach out to us at 800 450 0-78-76. And JB, as I mentioned, a tweeter wanted to know, says, please ask your guest, when will balance transfers with zero interest go- going to be as prevalent as it was prior to COVID? And the, see, the, the benefit of your show versus television is you don't get the opportunity to ask a question <laughs> and the person expounds on it. You know, television gives you what they want to give you and you get it and get it in those sound bites. But the Carl Nelson show, we get to actually elaborate on some really powerful things. And I'm so glad that she mentioned or she or he mentioned this question because there's so many people that got into the habit, Carl, of just transferring their credit card balance over to these zero um, offers. And I'm looking at some research now that came out in November 2023. Um, so what? not that long ago, and that it says that because of the coronavirus p- pandemic disrupt lives, Americans have faced layoffs and reduced income. So it's difficult for them to um, pay their everyday expenses, ranging from groceries to mortgage payments. So they're also struggling to pay off credit card debt. So the first... Um, thought be, is that the balance transfers are going away because people don't have the ability, you know, to pay their cards anyway. So the credit card companies don't want to take on that risk of that person trying to flip going to different um, cards anymore. And I guess they don't have to. There's a lot of administrative um, processing in that whole 
uh, transferring. So now the interest rates are so high on credit card balances that they're like, you know, we're good. We're making goo gobs of money. It says that balance transfers typically provide 20 months of interest-free financing. However, due to recent economic downturn, many financial institutions are shortening the length of their 0% APR offerings and are getting rid of them altogether. So there's, you know, some articles that have been written by some major financial institutions that said, it said some, um, they had an article and it written by these two major credit card holders, and they said that they cut back on balance transfers um, because of the economic changes. So, it's, and they're trying to minimize their risk because they can't have, you know, all of these cards or all of these loans, the credit card balance that are not being paid. So, and generally those transfers are done and approved by people with great credit. So now they're the ones that they look like there's a couple of banks. Um, you might want to just Google, but in this article, it only gives like three that are still doing um, the 0% transfer period. But after that, um, and it says the first 18 cycles are not billed, and then it says after that you go to an interest rate of 18.7 to 29.7. So you actually could be transferring from a 9% and going into something because it looks attractive, but you don't have the ability to pay it off before that 0% ends, and you end up paying more than you were. You could be jumping from the pot into the fire. So be very careful. McDonald's is not new to chicken. So maybe stop questioning that chicken cred and get your hands on the McCrispy. Juicy fried chicken, buttery bun, unmatched pickle to chicken ratio. Yeah, they know what they're doing. In fact, we can honestly say they're not new to chicken. They're true to chicken. The McCrispy. Only at McDonald's. Okay, and, and this is, 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 is all of this, uh, uh, is all of this contend on, on what happens in the economy. Are these folks, the bankers, the credit card issuers, are they watching how the interest rates are going up and down before they make moves like that? Yeah, but it's going to be hard for them to bring them back down. Like, you know, you see how the mortgage rates are starting to slow down from going to peaks, but these consumer debt, they're not going to give that up without a fight. They can make 29% on your, your, your balance. Like they're going to fight. It's going to have to be where they're, you know, where people start transferring out. Like some major bank has to start lowering it and then, and offering these things again. And they're, you see how they're basically all kind of work together. When one stops, the other stops. When one starts, the other starts. <laughs> and yeah. so it makes it hard for the consumer because they can keep the rates up. The only way for us to be in control is to cut our balances down as much as possible. And as I was saying, increase. We have to increase our income or reduce our spending 
And, uh, I, you know, I know that's easier said yeah. than done, JB, but yeah. I want to talk about credit because yeah. one of the issues, one of the New Year's resolutions for many folks is to, as far as finances are concerned, is to improve their credit. What, what advice would you have to for, uh, people listening to us right now who want to improve their credit? And what, is, what do you consider a good credit score? No, in the seven, a 700 and over is a good credit score. Like when you start um, going um, to, to get into your 800s and plus, sometimes, you know, generally this is a person that has a whole lot of debt or they're much, you know, are an older person. So the credit score, you can actually have a great credit score, the highest credit score, because based on your, your ability to pay your minimum balances on time. So it's not about, like, you don't have a lot of debt. You may have a lot of debt, but you can pay these things on time. And a lot of times they're being paid on time because of these transfers and all these creative things that were going on. And now they're not going on. So people have three, four hundred, five hundred dollar credit card bills that used to be a hundred dollars a month. And when you're on fixed income or have a regular salary, you know, that it, that can change your whole financial situation with your credit card bills tripling like that. And that is happening to a lot of people. They didn't even put anything else on it, really. They just right. because the interest rates went up on that balance, their minimum payment is a lot higher. And it can it can hurt your credit if you can't. Well, let me and ask you this, though, JB. I, I don't know if you recall uh, one of our listeners in Houston, Jimmy. That was his name. Yeah, Jimmy. He had a yeah. he had a, a, a perfect uh, credit score. It was eight fifty is the top of the line. He says he's got that. Is it a good thing yeah. to have? Because after you get to eight fifty, there's nowhere else to go but down. So, mm-hmm. in your estimation, is it good mm-hmm. to to get to that eight fifty mm-hmm. level like Jimmy has? Hopefully, he still has that. Yes, indeed. And his argument was that I took a loan out of my work plan and I paid all those off. So it's great to have an 850 credit score, but he doesn't know how much he slowed down his savings at work. So, you know, say last year, if he still was paying a loan, well, when you have that loan, the employer actually takes your money that you owe and it's out of the market. They're securing themselves. So last year, if it was invested properly, he lost out on a lot of money. And then it could argue, well, there's interest that's being paid and I'm paying it back to myself. You know, but yes, these employment loans, I don't care if they gave you five years, you're not supposed to be paying that back for five years. And if you lose your job within or you want to retire within that five years, then it becomes immediately a taxable event. So we want to avoid those as much as possible, use them. There's some advantages to them for emergency situations. But for that, um, uh, 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 that's not the best planning process. And what do we need that high score for? And, you know, you could actually live your life without having to be in debt, but it's become the American way to not save and buy things. You know, we just have become, well, you know, every, everything is financed. Everything is financed. Even if, you, even if you just limited your debt to for your mortgage, and that's the only debt that you had, that will hinder your ability to get that highest credit score. 
even though you're doing the right thing for your financial future. So I think that we said we can't we we need to have like my my principle in Afroeconomics is credit confidence, not really focusing on credit scores as much like the um, but having credit confidence that I'm doing these right steps to protect that score so that it doesn't damage my life insurance and damage my car insurance premiums because they use your credit score for all these outside things now. But it doesn't have to be eight fifty. You don't have to. Well, let me, know, well here, hold that thought right there. Thirty mm-hmm. minutes after it's mm-hmm. up there, JB, can they check mm-hmm. your credit without your without your uh, without asking, without your permission? Can they just run you run your credit report like that? They can do what's called a soft check, and they're done all the time. That's how you look at your credit score. These things where they tell you, um, but as far as the ones that they really need for your car insurance, your life insurance. You have signed to allow them to do that. You just didn't see it. Like, you saw it, but you didn't notice it. But mm. you have allowed them to check it. And so, uh, these soft checks that, that you mentioned, do, mm-hmm. do we know when they take place? Does the credit uh, company in, in mm-hmm. tell you that somebody's looking at your credit? Or is it something oh, yeah. that you have to, you have to go and, and uh, investigate yourself? You have to check your credit your 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 own credit report so you go to annualcreditreport.com january is a great time to do this and then it will show you any inquiries that you had you know and then they, that's how you get like a lot of those offers in the mail when they say like pre-approved stuff like that you're going to see those you know inquiries down there hmm. it's something yeah. it could be like really strange strange stuff i don't no, but somehow you got, like when people do their taxes, now TurboTax asks you about signing up for Credit Karma. When you do that, those people have everything on you. You've attached that to your tax return. They got your social, your kid's social, your wife's social, <laughs> everybody's social. That's on there. They got your household income. They got your, you know, all, all of this information on you. And we're not looking at that. What the question that they ask is: this, Do you want to have these offers for this? Have you thought about this? And we're just clicking yes, 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 yes. Oh, it's terrible. Slow wow. down. Slow <laughs> down. Like yeah, like, especially that credit karma. Be very careful with that. Anything that's free means they're making money off you. When you pay for it, like I use a credit monitoring system. I pay for it. They can't give my info to anybody else. Hmm. Interesting. Hold that thought right there, JB. We come up on another Mm -hmm. break. And when we come back, though, I'm going to ask you about credit cards. How many credit cards do you suggest that we should have? You know, uh, and and what kind of credit cards should we have? What what are the most useful? Because some people just take out credit cards and just have a whole bunch of credit cards and and probably have decent credit as well. So if you can explain that for us, folks, we're trying to get your your money uh, correct for the start of the new year. You got a New Year's resolution. You got questions about money. It's a lady you need to talk to. And she's broadcasting live on social media. She'll come on regular TV later this morning. We'll talk about that as well. 26 away from the top there, though. We've got to take a short break. We're back in four minutes right here in Baltimore on 1010 WLB. Also on the DM on FM 95.9 and AM 1450. WOL, where information is power.
Hey, good morning once again, family. 22 minutes away from the top of the hour with financial expert J.B. Bryan. Before we go back to J.B., let me just remind you, coming up later this morning, we speak with black politics expert Dr. James Taylor. And later this week, we're going to have a conversation with Morgan State Professor Dr. Ray Wimbush, Dr. Cl- Clinical Psychologist Jeff Menzies, and the President General of the Universal African People's Organization, Brother Zaki Baroudi. And when they're on, of course, you're all invited to ask them questions. You know, this is an interactive program. That's what we do here. It's not like you're eavesdropping on a conversation. You're all part of this program. This is how we we built it, and I think that's part of its success. Again, that's why we want you to keep your radios locked in tight right here in Baltimore on 1010 WOLB. If you're in the DMV, we're on FM 95.9 and AM 1450 WOL. All right, JB, and I see JB's broadcasting live. You just joined us. She's just broadcasting live just across social media, and she's going to be on TV, our uh, regular TV, later this morning as well. She does radio and TV on, on these mornings, and uh, shout, shout out to the folks who, who are checking us out on social media. Cynthia, I see you yeah. in the chat room and Beverly I see you in the chat room as well so you can get in the chat room and have these con- side conversations how to make money how to save money uh, with JB Bryan from Afroeconomics but before we left for the short break uh, JB I was asking the question about credit cards our uh, credit mix how many credit cards should we have what's the because uh, many people don't think about credit until they get ready to finance whether it be a home or or an automobile or a big ticket or a big ticket item you know and they should be thinking about it before so as far as the credit mix is concerned, what, what's considered a, a good credit mix? How many credit cards should uh, should we have? Your response. You know, I mean, to preface this, like I have like more black men clients that are multimillionaires than I have black women, but the black men and the black women that have million plus are very modest. Like they could buy anything they want, but they still have. And we always talk about Warren Buffett and him doing that, this, you know, having the same house and this, but these black people who have all this money are doing the same thing. And not because I told them to, because they were rich when they met me. It's just my job to keep them rich. But So when we talk about credit scores, we have to realize that the system is designed to stop you from being where they are. Because the only way from to succeed in credit scoring is to only use 10%. The majority of the the highest scores have only used 10% 10% or less of their available credit. That means their house mortgage is almost paid off all the way down. That means their car is all the way down. That means their credit cards aren't even used. They use their debit card the most. They just put the credit card on just to keep it active. But their utilization, which is the word that is used, is very down. And then So what happens is I think that we start thinking about credit score before we really should even be going into debt. And so what we start just, you know, working, paying for things, saving, investing, and then, okay, you get this modest home and you get the, you know, and, and then you start paying on it, pay down. Lord, look at this. What if you already have a down payment and you don't do what the government suggests, go in with the minimum, but you actually save, 
have a nice lump sum to put down on your home purchase. You already own part of your house when you buy it. And that, so these are, but on, for as far as score, it's saying we want you to have at least five lines of credit to get the best score. And we want these to be underutilized. <laughs> so it's like discipline is the key. But you actually, and when we say five, we're saying they want five different things. Like I was saying, like maybe three credit cards, a mortgage, and a car. And you've paid them down considerably. That you want to have that optimum score. But if a person only has, you know, one, and they're focusing on that one, and they're, you know, saving up for everything else, they're not even going to need to worry about that score. No. But it might be thin, but if they have the discipline, they can get these cards, but they're not utilizing them past 30%. For sure not. Definitely not. They're keeping the utilization. So back in the day, literally out of my mouth when I was in my 20s, I would tell people, you only need one credit card, not realizing that I was, that was bad advice. Because if they actually utilize that credit card past 30%, even though they have one and it's easy to keep up with, most people don't do that. So they're better off having three or four with lower utilization on each one. And Lord knows they got to keep it paid on time. But so all of these things, in order to get to where these clients are that I learned, that I think that has really helped my life being surrounded by people, wealthy people, all my life, like since my 20s, that is such a blessing when they say, like, you're like the average people that you hang around. And I really never thought about it because I don't have a lot of friends, but I hang around all day long people with money. And when I look at what they do, they don't spend any time perpetrating, not flexing, Nothing you would never know. And that's what is so amazing to me. <laughs> but you know what, Jamie? I'm glad you went there because that's what the next question I was going to ask you, 15 yeah. away from the top there, because I've, I've met some wealthy people, very wealthy people, and you would not yeah. know that they have yeah. money, that they, they, the way they dress, the cars they yeah. drive, uh, yeah. the conversations, because they never talk about how much money they have. They could buy you yeah. and, and we change with yeah. their pocket change, but they never talk mm. about it. But the the, the people right. who you call them perpetrators, you know, flashing that Harlem roll. Uh, what is that? Right. Can you explain that phenomena yeah. for us? Yeah, and it is a because you get treated differently. Like you have to have a large amount of self confidence to live below your means. Like I get on the city bus. And a lot of people are bothered by that. Like, why in the world would you be getting on the city bus? But that, to me, is the ultimate in my personal growth of this is absolutely free until 2025. Why isn't this bus packed? To me, that is a greater statement to be able to say to people, you know, that I don't have to do this. I'm choosing to do this. And that we... That I think that we have been treated so poorly that when we flex, like when you see us with a nice car and some nice clothes and things like that, that we feel like, um, and it's true, people will treat you better, especially in our community.
You get treated totally different when people don't think that you have money. But that's where that discipline comes in. That's where, because the farther you get from other people's opinion of you, and the more you focus on, I got a job to do, and I got to increase my income, and I got to grow my assets, and I got to do these things and do right. Your, your work ethic, your integrity, that's where we need to focus. But we got distracted because the, you know, the people started treating us bad because we didn't look the part. And I know it goes way back historically, I'm sure, to how they used to make us, you know, dress. But, you know, we don't have to put, you know, we don't have to allow that mentality to come with us now. Like the outfit that I have on today is at least 10 years old, at least. And it didn't bother me one bit that I'm coming on Carl Nelson's show. I got on 10-year-old outfit and that I'm going to go to CBS in a few minutes and sit down and talk with this 10-year-old outfit. So really, what it did was make me happy that I can fit it. <laughs> and, I'm happy, you know, and that I'm saving money. But when I was in my 20s, every time I would do television, especially, tel- you know, I would have to flex. I'd have on the most expensive $1,000 jackets, this and that, blah, blah, blah. You know, so now I can pull on those. My clothes isn't, isn't cheap. But I can I have taken care of quality stuff and I don't have to prove anything to anybody. But and, and let me interrupt you there, JB, because you're absolutely right. But we see this a lot when it comes down yes. to cars. You know, uh, you know, our folks, oh, yeah. we, we like he's talking about flexing because a car statement is, is part of your personality, the extension of your personality. So you've got to get a new car or one that's at least yes. a, a year or two old. Speak to that for us. We don't even realize how we treat in our community. We treat each other differently based on the car that they pull up on. You'll you'll have a man that, like my my client, I was telling a client the other day, I said that literally if you were single today, women would not like you because you'd be riding around in your pickup truck. He's married. You know what I'm saying? But we were joking on the TV, pick up truck. And then we have no idea all the millions that you have. And he said, girl, you ain't said nothing but the truth. I was like, you should be thankful that you're married. You know what I'm saying? Because you wouldn't get no play. None. He wouldn't. And the man got everything. He could take care of, he could change people's lifestyle. But it's like that. But if you, you know, realize that what you get your confidence on he does not care. He does not care what anybody else thinks. It's like, I want this little, I want this, my old truck because I want to use that for when I'm doing da 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 da. And it, it used to have, I bought a used bench and couldn't stand it, had to get rid of it. That's where, you know, because it was just too much, like drawing too much attention. And I know I can appreciate that because when I used to drive expensive cars, it draws a lot of attention to yourself. And the number of people, that have been hurt, you know, personally, because of material items goes back to biblical times. So in a way, like our humility benefits us in so many ways, but that, you know, desire to think that, you know, a car like is, 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 is a, a, um, something that shows our credit, you know, it is a diminishing asset. The only time probably in the history of vehicles that cars went up was during the pandemic because we couldn't get them in. But other than that, it is going down. 
And because our community has so many, so much of their income tied up in depreciating assets, that's why even though our incomes are higher, our wealth is diminishing because it's what we're spending our money on. You take that, get a modest car, a modest house, you invest the rest. That person is doing very well and their wealth is you know what you need to hold that and and repeat that for the folks in the back of the room because i I think some of them missed that what you just said because so many times people ask what kind of car you drive what kind of car (laughs) you know they want to know that so can you repeat that for us yeah you do if you reduce how much you're paying on your mortgage and how much you're paying on your car and you invest that in whatever you believe in you believe in the investment market we invest that if we look at it historically the investment market has out actually outpaced your overpriced residential real estate. So you actually, if you were saving more in the market, you would be richer. Like we'll sit there and pay that house for 30 years and be excited because it's paid off. But if you've been overpaying and been house poor and not maximizing, say your 401k or TSP because of that house payment, it has cost you wealth. Yeah, well, let me jump in and ask you this. Go come up on a break, though. Where does this come from where we're trying to keep up with the Joneses? They'll look at you and say, hey, you need a new car because that's dated. Even though the car might be running well, uh, you, you need to move out of that neighborhood because it, it, it's a ghetto, mm-hmm. even though it, it, it costs you less mm-hmm. to live there. Where does that come from? Where, 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 that, is this, is this, is this in, just in our community, do you know, or is it just all over, that, that, that peer it's pressure? all over. And we have bought into that materialism attitude. That's it. It's hurting every community. You know, you see, you know, white stories of greed in white communities, black stories in the black community of greed. You know, that's what causes divorces, families breaking up, all that just over the over greed and financial issues. Probably the number one reason people break up over that. And if they were living below their means or placing basing their mortgage just on one income most of these marriages probably could work no but they're under so much stress and the need to escape and then the the you know the drugs and the alcohol and not wanting to go home because there's so much stress there and one person in touch with reality and one person just trying to look good you know it breaks up everything and every you know community it just costs us even more because we don't have deep pockets they can call their parents generally and say, look, we're about to lose our house. Can you help us get back on track? You know, the, you know, I used to know this white couple, the white couple. Well, they had lost everything, but they still were, had their kids in a great school system because they moved to her parents' house. Her parents have money. They were living in the house with her parents. There's a two 40, 50 year olds with three kids living in their parents' house. Everybody thought that was her, their house. I did, like, you know, and their parents with them. But they were with their parents because they had overspent and they weren't making any money. And the husband lost the job. So it's in wow. every community, but we don't have that fallback. McDonald's is not new to chicken. So maybe stop questioning that chicken cred and get your hands on the McCrispy. Juicy fried chicken, buttery bun, unmatched pickle to chicken ratio. Yeah, they know what they're doing. In fact, we can honestly say they're not new to chicken. They're true to chicken. The McCrispy. Only at McDonald's. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. 
We yeah. are- oh, hold that thought right there. Interesting story right there, JB. We got to take a quick break and I'll let you finish it when we get back. Family, you want to join this conversation? You're thinking about saving money to start off the new year? Reach out to JB Bryant at 800-450-7876. I mentioned she's broadcasting on social media. She also says she's going to be on CBS later today. We're going to tell you when and where you can watch. But we got to take the break, as I mentioned, at six away from the top. I'll be back in four minutes with JB right here in Baltimore on 1010 WOLB. If you're in the DMV, we're on FM 95.9 and AM 1450 WOL where information is power. And good morning again, family. Minute after the top of the hour with our guest, financial expert, J.B. Bryant from Afro Economics. And we're starting off the new year trying to get your money straight. This is the lady you need to talk to. Reach out to us at 800-450-7876. She's broadcasting live and across all the social media, so you can just Google it. I see a bunch of folks already logged on, and they're also in a chat room. They've got a, a chat room on the side, and they're discussing issues as well. This is something everyone should consider, you know, getting your financial house in order. This is a good excuse to start at the at the start of the year. Before we left, we were speaking about people with real people with money, but it's just not money, mm. uh, uh, JB. It's, it's people who have accomplished, people who are good at what they do. They don't have to tell you that they're good. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Because they already know. They don't need That's that right. re- reinforcement. And just like the people with money, they don't have to tell they have money. They just go along in their business. If, if you don't know, that's your problem. But they don't listen to right. what other people are saying. And that, that crosses the line to any other thing as well, any other business that you're in or anything that you're doing. If you're doing it well, you don't have to tell people I'm doing it well because they see the results. But uh, I, want, I want to ask you a question, though, about income equality. Uh, do you, is it income uh, inequality killing us? What can we expect financially? As a group of people, what can we expect? Mm. Which is just going to be same old, same old uh, for mm. 2024. Mm. Very powerful, powerful question. And the, I definitely bl- believe that income inequality our lack of income, um, the administration's um, negligence in making sure that people are getting an affordable wage, that that is killing our community according to the research that says that there is a direct relationship between income and chronic diseases. So, I mean, more than anything else, even within our own community, that when income is used to determine health correlations, that a person with higher income and black, that they're going to have a lower percentage of, that, of people in that income bracket that have chronic diseases, diseases that are like stalking our community. They see it, the, you know, the, the resources that could be made available to lower income, in, as well as de- creating a mandatory requirement on allowing people to make at least a livable wage all over the country. So, you know, definitely income equality, inequality across races has shown that income is killing people, that lack of income is killing people, lack of income is cutting off live lives by at least in based on pre-pandemic numbers cutting off lives by at least six years i bet now if they do that now it's going to show even more and i bet that income was the issue 
for the people dying from um, COVID more than actual the race factor. That because more people in our community are subjected to income inequality and lost jobs and their income was cut during the pandemic, that that is why you saw such a huge number of black people die from COVID. And so, yes, indeed, um, your, our, all of our representatives and politicians have access to all of the academic research that has been done, like Urban Institute and Virginia Commonwealth University have done a study, you know, on that income impacts the, the longevity, impacts chronic diseases, impacts children drastically and their ability because the earlier in your life where you're malnourished and not getting the, the exposure and the nutrients and the, um, the positive experience and the traumatic experiences that are associated with lower income and the moves and the evictions and things like that, that, that is hurting our young people over their entire lifetime. You know, it's interesting that you would say that because I remember doing an interview with Bill Cosby and we were, we were, it was live and then the DJ was and they said was was with me and they said make sure he doesn't ask the question because he's on the kind of on the crazy side and he, he grabbed the mic and he says to, to Bill Cosby Bill 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 I gotta ask you this question man I gotta ask you this question and I'm going oh wow what's he going to ask me what's it like to be rich and Cosby oh, told him what's it like it's, 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 it, it doesn't feel any way different he says the only difference is that I can pay for the best medical care in the world and he mentioned that his mm. mom had diabetes. Ooh. I could find the best doctors anywhere in the world to mm. take care. Other than that, he says there's no, there's no difference. Unless uh, uh, it left my friend kind of fabulously because, you know, he thought being mm. rich, because when you think about rich people and what they do and what they have, but Honda uh, cars, the only difference was he could afford the best medical care because everything else is relative. Mm. The car that you have, it's got the same components mm. in the car that I drive. <laughs> the food that you eat is the same kind of food. It's, uh, they charge mm. me more because they think I've got more money. But see, everything mm. else is relative. And I, and I thought about that. I said, wow, that, that is so true. Mm. The only difference, as you mentioned about health, that interview came back to me. But I'll, I'll let you fit th your thoughts and, on that. And then, and it, yes, thank you so much for sharing that. Because what he was saying is that Bill was saying that I have cash flow. I have income. Because that fact that wealth, wealth itself, like wealth is your assets minus your liabilities. So wealth is not. So what is left over your net worth is your wealth. That wealth, unless it's creating income for you, is not helping you protect yourself. So you could actually be wealthy and not create enough income from that wealth. And, the, and it actually is not giving you the income that you need. Like some people have assets and They'll put down whatever number they want that this asset is worth this. So then when they do the statistics, you know, they say, oh, I have all this wealth. But then when they ask them about their income, well, those assets aren't paying out income and they're not getting enough income from those assets in order to take care of their mother and their father and their children and their wife and themselves and, you know, properly. Or, but they might be living smack dab in a $10 million house. But that $10 million house, unless they turn it into an apartment building <laughs> and get some income from it, it's not doing anything for them. 
But let me jump in here, uh, JB, eight after the top there. I'm talk about the folks on the other end of the spectrum. Minimum wage. Uh, mm-hmm. A lot of places, the minimum wage went up this year. And the, the, some folks, some corporations think that we should not increase the minimum wage because it says once you increase mm-hmm. the minimum wage, these companies are going to lay off some people. And that did happen this mm-hmm. year. I want to get your thoughts. Mm-hmm. How do we, you know, what is considered a minimum wage? And, and these companies who threatened, were against it, say if, if you increase the minimum wage, uh, you know, it's only one pie. So we've got to cut the pie differently. So mm-hmm. if you increase the minimum wage, if i got to pay you more, I'm going to have to lay off. Your, your colleague how do you deal with that yeah, it's such a lie it's just a lie you know and we stop we have to stop falling for that and i can't believe that people that are getting salaries and stuff allow them to do that when you have them on top making billions of dollars a year you know so especially you know if you're the owner they just don't have a commitment to making sure that the people who aren't getting access to shares of ownership of the company are getting proper pay. They are the ones that create the billion dollars that they take home in income every year. And it is a lie that our government is allowing them, you know, to get away with that. I've owned the business for what, like 30 years. You know, I have to pay regardless of if I get paid. And that's the kind of sacrifices I feel that owners should be making because it's not their business. That is not their business. So they're better off if, if they're not paying the person a livable wage, the person is better off going to get another job and make them pay them unemployment. Lay them off. Get unemployment. Make them pay more unemployment insurance. Do it. They're laying off people regardless because computers are replacing people has nothing to do with wages. These companies want to be profitable, you know, so that their stock will make more money. You know, that it, just for they are the owners. They're going to make sure shareholders want them to do that. What? How many? How many people can you replace with the machine? Replace them. And even in my firm. I have over the last 30 years, you know, been able to machines have been in processes and software and artificial intelligence has been able to cut out at least five people that I've had to pay at least five, at least five. So So let me ask you this as a business owner, what do you do then? Do you embrace the new technology and then make these jobs redundant? And and then the people, you know, because there's a human uh, element to this because they're going to be laid off. And and let me just add this, JB, because one of our listeners out in California just sent me a text that says there was a, a pizza company out there who laid off the drivers. Because at the start of the year, they were forced to pay, increase the minimum wage for their employees. So they took it out on, on the, 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 the drivers. So now they want, you have to come and pick up your pizza. So it says, this is real. This is real. This is what's really happening to people. Yeah, so explain the human the element can go for somewhere us. else. The driver can go somewhere else. They didn't need to work there anyway. So that's a lie. They need, if somebody comes and works there, if people are going to go and pick up their pizza, you know, when they don't have to, because you could just use like Uber, go, will go and pick up your pizza and bring it to your house. You know, if you don't want, if you want to do that, just like any other delivery and the, the person shouldn't be working for them anyway, they should be doing Uber so that they'll get a 1099, you know, and that opens up for a whole bunch of additional tax write-offs for that driver. Generally, they weren't even getting any benefits from that company. 
So now if they do get benefits for themselves as a 1099 person from Uber or Lyft or whatever companies that they decide to help, you know, they'll get the expenses that they can write off. W-2 for a person on minimum wage or liberal wage, they're giving they still got to pay it back. They're, they got to pay all these taxes. And then a lot of times they're driving their own car. That delivery person, you know, most likely if you look into it, they're misleading you. They're trying to blame it so that we will feel, I don't care. You have to lay off somebody so that they can go get a better job. I'm a, but you have to pay them unemployment also and they'll go and get something else but i they will not it is basically slave labor to make somebody work 40 hours a year a, w- a week and they still are not making enough you know for a livable wage that is ridiculous nobody should be there and uh, honestly if you push up from the bottom that's going to make it better for everybody you have these, you know, well, and, and, and JB, you're going against the trickle-down theory, economic theory. I think that Ronald Reagan started, and the Republicans have embraced. You know, they take mm. care of the, the people at the top of the pyramid and the people at the bottom. They they, they, they don't care because they the pe- they need the people on the bottom to keep make themselves rich. But we come up on a break, and let's kick this mm. around when we get back. Though, family, you want to join this conversation with JB Bryant? Mm. Reach out to us at 800-450-7876. We're back in four minutes at 14 after the top of the hour right here in Baltimore on 1010. WOLB, if you're in the DMV, we're on FM 95.9 and AM 1450. WOL, where information is power. And good morning again, family. 20 minutes after the top of the hour with our guest financial advisor, uh, J.B. Bryan. She's a financial expert. She runs Afro Economics. And we talk, this is where we talk about money in the start of the year. I know some folks have uh, had New Year's resolutions to save more money or, or improve their credit or whatever. But, uh, J.B., I want to talk to you about the, 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 the folks who are at the bottom of that financial pyramid, who live paycheck to paycheck, just one calamity away from being homeless. Those kind of folks. How can we help them? What would you? What, what advice do you have to a person who, who you know, just thinks they're, they're trapped in in that cycle? You know, going to work and paying on bills, and going to work, paying bills, can't afford, not enough money left over to save for anything. What sort of advice do you have for those people? Join Afro Economics. I have a free membership, and like I told my webmaster on it website when they first come in click here for free membership every friday that i'm healthy i do a a big group you know for just anybody it could be you know asset based or free nobody knows what anybody is paying it's a members meeting and like mr johnson chatted while we were talking he said stop giving away all those member um secrets like the but that's what we talk about and um, I always do complimentary consultations, but the the deciding factor is knowledge. So what people do with money is they get access to knowledge. So I created Afroeconomics to give our, all of our people access to knowledge and information, and you know, talk, as and talking to other people because a lot of times they. When, when people are going through things, they think they're the only one that's gone through things. And so they need to be, have exposure to, oh, gosh, you know, they went through this, too. JB went through that, too. Oh, my, I, you know, they, they see where I am now, but they don't know the changes that I had to go through to get here. 
And so, you know, that I think that they need to reach out to the resources other than government resources on um, taking yourself to the next level, because I've reached out to the government and try to bring this knowledge and, you know, and showing people how to set up businesses and start their own business. And th- I mean, there's some really powerful things that we got to get the knowledge and it's, and it's free. So we got to get our, I think that anybody out there that's listening that feels like they're going through something unique should reach out to me and at minimum sign up. If you don't have the confidence of calling and getting my assistant to put you on my calendar for a complimentary consultation, then just at least get the membership and start coming to the meeting because it's killing us. It literally is like when I just sit here and look at the statistics about poor children and see the children, that's, that's the hardest hit because like, you know, poor children are more likely to be obese and, and people will say, well, how is that kid so big if they are not getting enough food? They're getting enough food, but they're not getting enough nutrition and they're not getting enough uh, relaxation and, and confidence and comfort. And our poor children and many children, too many children are exposed to too much of the stress that the parents are going through. And so, you know, a poor child is going to be exposed to a lot of stress and They're like me, cortisol, which is the stress hormone, will cause that weight gain. And so we're looking at our children like, Lord, what are they feeding them? I mean, we're talking about black person talking about black kids, black babies. And they're not. It's just that child is exposed to stresses and a lack of knowledge about nutrition. And they're not. Your body can be so malnourished that it will begin to bloat and look fat and gain weight from the lack of nutrients that it's getting, which opens them up to, you know, elevated chances of, you know, like poor kids are more likely to get asthma, you know, even heart conditions, hearing problems, digestive disorders, elevated blood, lead, because of the, you know, places that they're living in is not up to standard, not up to code. Like that, that part, like really, hurts me because we got so so when they say well we got to increase them or and or and we're going to be put out of business you know if if we pay them more like well have you ever considered lowering your extremely high income because i'm telling you if i paid my people less i could make more like you know but because of the commitment to this is my dream and i should sacrifice for it that's the attitude that we should be having about all of these businesses. That's their dream. That person could die. Their family's not going to inherit that business. They're working to help that build that business. They need to be paid correctly or, right. or let them go so they can do something yeah. else. JB, 26 after the top of the hour. Brother Najee's joining us from Jersey. He has a question for you. He's online too. Good morning, Brother Najee. Hey, how you doing, Carl? Good morning. Good morning to the guests. Um, good morning. Good morning. Um, mm-hmm. yeah, so, um, you know, how much is um, the rising rent and um, income inequality, you know what I mean? How, how connected mm. is that? And, and mm. also, um, in the midst that 
poor people don't work hard. You know, because I mean, some some of the most hard right. working people are poor. That's people. right. So that's right. Um, is that also a link when we talk about health? Because people that's right. are literally working themselves to death. To, and, to um, death. Also, that's right. And, and also, uh, during the pandemic, and you talked about the power of you know basically like okay, if you're not going to pay me enough, look for another job. To give you an example of that. I noticed mm. that these companies during the pandemic with the uh, people staying home and collecting unemployment and getting benefits, um, extra benefits, um, people wasn't going back to work as fast, which forced mm. employers to pay more. There so you go. They, they, do, they do have the money. There you go. Because I, you know, right. I left a job. I left a job. They called me back to work during the pandemic. I went back mm. to work. And, and, mm. and employment was so scarce, they couldn't find drivers. I drive trucks for a living. So mm. they were bringing in drivers and paying them more than I was ma- what I was making. There you go. Kids. And once I learned yeah. that, I left. That's right. And they were paying in like 20 years. You've been there 20 years. They're bringing in new people, making more than you. Yeah. You know? Unapologetically, because they're going to do what they got to do to protect their company, their interests. And it's time for us, like, good for you. Good for you, because they're like, you better do it. And so many people didn't leave then. We have so many people in our community that were offered jobs to go other places that would have brought them. And they still stayed at the one they knew was underpaying them. We have to... You know, somehow, and I know it's hard, get in touch with our value the way you did. You you just said, hey, I know what I'm worth. I know I'm helping them. I know that they need me to survive. I, I, I got a good record. I got a good driving record. I got, you know, but we have, we don't see, we don't see it. So we get stuck. And then when they don't appreciate you, then we get in the job and we're frustrated. And then we slowly kill ourselves staying at places that we should have left. The disease is horrible. Yeah. Like you said, well, like let me jump in here. Najia, thank you for your call. That's interesting. So uh, JB is saying some people stay on a job too long. We have, you know, how do you yeah. determine how, how long is long? You know what I'm saying? Because obviously know, if they went somewhere else, they're probably making more money. Should that be the, should, should that be the deciding factor? Statistically... People should not stay at a job more than two years if they want to keep moving up. That's what the statistics say. We're staying in it 20, 30 years like it's our own business, you know, but we need to be moving up. And the best way to move up is you got to switch jobs. Now, I could see like, okay, as you do that, you, you switch, you know, I mean, on average, people are switching jobs seven times. In their career, I believe that the average in our community is much lower, especially on a, you know, high professional level. We lock in. So and then we'll say things like if I were at such and such a company, I'd be making so much more. Or if I was in corporate America, I'd be making so much more when. But they don't understand that. Why are you settling? Why are you settling? The worst thing that could happen is you can go back. But we, we don't stay there until they're getting rid of you on their terms. And that's what we do. Where they start just pushing you out because you're too old, you know, making up stuff against you. Oh, you left this in the office and that was, you know, that, that, that was a breach of blah, blah, blah. You know, just making up stuff. 
you know, that and you're you're sitting there suing them, trying to you know spending your life savings trying to stay at a job that you shouldn't be at. I saw these these um brothers sued one of these major financial service companies because they were brokers, and they stayed at the firm the entire time that they were suing the company. And then they came out to about like a million dollars that they had to split across them for discrimination. But my argument is if they had left that company, they would have made way more than what the settlement was for. And all of that stress, you know what I mean? For no reason yeah. in a business, in some, we were getting paid, you know, they were only getting paid commission anyway. McDonald's is not new to chicken. So maybe stop questioning that chicken cred and get your hands on the McCrispy. Juicy fried chicken, buttery bun, unmatched pickle to chicken ratio. Yeah, they know what they're doing. In fact, we can honestly say they're not new to chicken. They're true to chicken. The McCrispy. Only at McDonald's. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Wow. So JB, like, hold that thought right there. Got some more folks mm-hmm. want to talk to you. 29 away from the top there. Our brother Muhammad is joining us from Washington, D.C. He's on line three. Salam alaikum, my brother. Happy New Year. Alaikum salam. Happy New Year to you, sir. Um, I feel compelled to, to call in um, and bear witness to what the sister was saying. My uh, godfather uh, started working at McDonald's, that, that McDonald's on South Dakota Avenue near Fort okay. Titan. He got, his, mm. he got my mom's best friend pregnant while he was in college, dropped out of college, started working at McDonald's, became vice president, board mm. of directors. He owned more okay. stock in McDonald's than the Kroc family because he just kept <laughs> buying stock the entire time. They, they still are probably own more stock as an individual or as, you know, than any other uh, individual in, in the world in McDonald's. But I love the it. reason is uh, a couple of, he has a black man, his name is Robert Beavers. Hey, but before so, you go uh, up, any further, brother, man, let me ask you that. What, what yeah. made him buy stock, though? Because some of us, we're working for companies that are on the stock exchange, and we, and we still don't think about buying stock, investing in the company. What, so what made him think he, that he should invest I, in McDonald's? I can tell you that story. He, yeah. he was at the South Dakota McDonald's, and somebody put out a sloppy tray of burgers. And mm. I don't know if you know anything about, but McDonald's is like real strict on that's quality right. that's and like right. presentation. That's okay. Right. So somebody that's put right. out a, 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 a pan of sloppy looking burgers and the manager mm. shut down the restaurant and said, we don't uh, put burgers, out, you know, in front of the customers, <laughs> in front of everybody and made them redo the burgers. And then Bobby was like, oh, I ain't going nowhere. I'm staying right here. That's what made them say, oh, they're not playing, you know. That's right. So, that's that's an incredible story. Hold on a second, Brother Muhammad, because we got to take a short break here. Yeah. I'll let you finish your question, your comment for mm-hmm. the J.B. Bryan family. You want to join this conversation, reach out to us at 800-450-7876. Your phone calls in four minutes, uh, 26 away from the top. They are right here in Baltimore on 1010 WOLB. If you're in the DMV, we're on FM 95.9 and AM 1450. Mm-hmm. WOL, or information is power. Good morning once again, family. 21 minutes away from the top of the hour with J.B. Brian, J.B. from Afro Economics. She's a financial expert. We're trying to get our financial house in order to start the year off. Before we left, we're speaking with Brother Muhammad. Before we go back to J.B., though, I just tell you that she's broadcasting live across social media. She's going to be on CBS TV later this morning as well. So before she leaves, she'll tell us where you can see her on, on TV on, on, on uh, CBS. And later this morning, too, uh, Dr. James Taylor is going to join us. He'll be back in our classroom. He's going to talk about the politics of cat 
Williams, reparations in the Democratic Party. And so look at uh, uh, Dr. Claudine Gay from uh, Harvard, how she got bounced out of Harvard. Also, Nikki Haley's rising the GOP polls and more. And later this week, we're going to speak with Morgan State Professor Dr. Ray Wimbush, Doctor of Clinical Psychology, Jeff Menzies, and the President General of the Universal African People's Organization, Brother Zaki Baruti. So if you're in Baltimore, make sure your radio's locked in tight right here on 1010 WOLB. If you're in the DMV, we're on FM 95.9 and AM 1450 WOL. All right, let's go back to Brother Muhammad, because you were telling us about your, your godfather, grandfather, the vice uh, rose up in the ranks of, of McDonald's. So I'll let you finish telling us that story. Yeah, uh, Godfather uh, Robert Beavers. Um, mm. He didn't get to, mm. he didn't get to write a book. He didn't get to do a lot of things because he passed away in 2015 at the highest spiritual place in the world in Tibet. Believe it or not, one wow. of his last words one of his last words were, "I'll get to the top." And he got to the top, yeah. and he just boom gone. No hospital stay, no nothing. So, but how old was he? Uh, he was about 77, 75. Okay. Yeah, um, that's that, still yeah, farther. That's, that's yeah, that's longer yeah, than that, the average black man. You know, that so. taught me a lot uh, when he passed because he mm. had Austin Martins, he had you know V twelve Audis, he had mm. you know uh, he he lived humbly because he didn't even have a mate. Mm. You know, he took the trash out. He 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 rode you know first mm. class. He didn't have a private plane, but he was worth seven hundred million dollars. I'm sure he's worth over a billion now in it. You know, in his estate. But the, did he get married? I want to make two. Hold on. Did he ever get married? I wonder. Did he ever get married? Yes, he was married. Okay. He, he, yeah. Okay. The women, the women want to know that, brother Muhammad. You know that, but whether he's married or not. But go ahead. <laughs> he married his high school sweetheart. That's how he got married. Uh, started with McDonald's. He got her pregnant. I think I mentioned that. And then he oh, married her. Okay. And okay. he had to get a job. So okay. But two things I want to mention. When he was worth about twenty billion to fifty billion, right, mm-hmm. all the way up to seven hundred million, okay, mm-hmm. his lifestyle didn't change. Mm-hmm. So these ultra-rich people, uh, they're just playing a game of stacking numbers mm-hmm. on a piece of paper. Okay, mm-hmm. they're past. Mm-hmm. They're past like worrying about. He, one time he told me, "I haven't paid." a uh, car note in 25 years. Amen. When, you yeah. know, he just, he just write a check mm-hmm. and boom, he'd get a Mercedes, mm-hmm. or Walmart, whatever. Okay. Now, when I, one time I was, I went down to his, his condo in Fort Lauderdale, a two bedroom condo, nothing mm-hmm. extravagant, just a nice two bedroom. Nice. But it was a million dollar. Everybody there was a millionaire. Mm-hmm. I sat around the pool and bearing witness to what you said about Cosby, mm-hmm. all those rich people, you know what they talked about? They didn't talk about their Bentley. They didn't talk about, you know, Aspen. All they talked about was health. That's <laughs> all you heard at the pool was people talking about health. Because you cannot enjoy your Bentley or your lifestyle if you're not healthy. And so I Amen. learned. I'm like, oh, yeah. I'm like, oh, Amen. you have to, Amen. you know, that's really what wealth is, is, is being healthy. Now, another Amen. thing, uh, so I said all that. I said the first thing about he, his lifestyle didn't change, <laughs> meaning, they should tax the rich, okay, because they're just playing a game of numbers anyway, okay? Mm-hmm. They should definitely tax the rich more, and we shouldn't have to pay mm-hmm. for health care or education. And it's funny you said that, that mm-hmm. you know, wealthy people don't have stress or, you know, poor people have more stress. When they take their family photo, nobody's mm-hmm. overweight in the entire photo. Mm-hmm. And when you, when you mm-hmm. said that, that, that really made me think. 
Mm. And uh, um, mm. the last thing I wanted to say, and mm. I'll shut up. I, I won't get off the phone, but I'll, I'll just be quiet. And if you want to get rid of me, that's fine. But the last thing I'll say is um, we shouldn't go after the Bentley. Mm. We should not go after these things that we think represent success because mm. somebody else is driving his Aston Martin right now. Somebody mm. else is driving Amen. the V12 Audi. Somebody mm. else is wearing the Rolex. Do you understand what I'm saying? Like, Amen. As a Muslim, yep. it, says, it says in the Quran, spend out of what we've given you for the cause of Islam, right? I never mm. understood that until he passed away. Mm. Because it hit me that if mm. you go after these material things, you, mm. you're going to be reduced down to zero anyway. So you might as well right. leave a school. You might mm. as well leave, mm. you know, an mm. a, a institution. You might as well, mm. you know, b- build a library or create a park mm. or create mm. some kind of institution for your people and your community mm. because you're not going to mm. drive any luxury cars in, 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 in the hereafter. You're not going to wear right. any Rolexes in the hereafter. So after right. that happened, I said, forget going after the Bentleys and stuff. I'm just going to live comfortably. And, and build an institution. You, you understand what right. I'm saying? That's right. Um, of anything else, an institution of peace. Like you said, that you know, the greatest inheritance that we can give our children is a relationship with God. So they could say, oh, my father you know, was such a peaceful man. And he had this relationship that, that no matter how far they wander, they, they can come back to that place where you were, what you yeah, gave the, them, peace. The last thing I'll mm-hmm. say is, when you get, uh, be careful of getting super rich, guys, okay? Because mm. when you get that rich, everyone mm. relates to you on money. Your family mm. is on your payroll. Mm. Your friends mm. are on your payroll. Mm. It's not mm. as a happy life as you think. Mm. And mm. when he passed at the mm. highest spiritual place mm. in the world, it was almost like, see y'all later. I'm tired of y'all. Mm-hmm. You understand mm-hmm. what I'm saying? Because everyone mm-hmm. came at yep. him about That's money right. and he wasn't a money That's person right. he was just a That's genius right. that's right you, know, you understand what i'm saying yeah that's right so but yeah the, the last that, thing i'll say indeed. about like i have a business and i i, I make pretty mm. good money and it's true what you said like i have a you know i have a toyota tundra you know i have a nice mm. i can but i can do what i want but i can right. what i recently did is that's i right. bought a new mouth Okay, I got all my dental work done because I'm like, I'm 50 years old. Mm. By the time That's I'm right. 70, I still want to be smiling and have a healthy mouth. <laughs> That's right. So That's right. I said, let me, let me spend right. a year, year and a half getting my mouth together and getting my mouth straight. That's right. And if That's I didn't right. have money, I couldn't do that. But yep. it, it is yep. true that you can yep. get a nice car, but it's yep. still just a car. Yep. You can yep. get a nice I mean, house. And, and, you know, but check it it's out. It's still just a your house. Gum, you know, your gum health, like... When we look at it, like a person with money like you is able to take care of their gums better than a person who doesn't have money. Because a lot of the things that you did were not covered by insurance. Periodontal disease. Exactly. Yes. That gum disease will is, is killing people going exactly. into their brain, increasing their chances of Alzheimer's and dementia is connected, directly connected. Yeah. Yeah. And they even showed that that our community was more likely to have low nitric oxide. And nitric oxide is one of the cheapest 
supplements out there, you know, there'll be like beet compounds that they put into the supplement. But I was just talking to my sister that is in her 60s about the importance of gum health and, you know, teeth and that. If the tooth is bad, extract it. You cannot yeah. afford to have decay in your mouth. And we yeah. we are keeping it in because we're thi- we you know, thinking, money. exactly. Yeah. And we're, it's cheaper. I mean, insurance will cover an extraction, but we won't get it because we don't know what we're going to put in afterwards. But when you're talking about look what you look like versus not getting Alzheimer's because of gums, you know what I mean? You got to get it right. out. You got to get it out. Let me yeah, go thing. ahead, Brother Muhammad. We got some okay. more folks we want to talk to. Studying, okay, I'm a, this will be quick. I was studying the supreme wisdom, you know, I'm in the nation, right? And mm-hmm. I looked up the word grafting, right? We talk, you know, grafting, mm-hmm. you talk about like taking a dominant mouse and making it into a recessive mouse, you know, mm-hmm. an albino mouse, right? But there's another definition to, to oh. grafting. Oh, okay. There, there's an economic definition. Mm-hmm. And the economic definition is this. Gaining an unscrupulous, sometimes criminal advantage over another. Mm. So the economic, I, what I said to myself in the lesson, it says, in order to make devil, what must you first do? You must first start mm. grafting from the original. And so it mm. started to hit me that the supreme wisdom is like an economic guy. And when I, and let me let me just say this real quick: we spend mm. eight billion dollars a month in the DMV. Area eight billion. If you go all the way up to you know, include Maryland, up to you know Pennsylvania mm-hmm. and, and down to Richmond, we spend eight billion a month as a black community. Okay, mm-hmm. so what if we just got the devil off of our money? Mm-hmm. You, you understand? Like right. it's not even That's complicated. Right. All we have That's to right. do is get right. these people off of our That's money. Right. That's because right. Because they're That's grafting right. our money right. and and That's living right. well and stress-free, and so on and so forth, because they're living off the original. We've been making devils since we got here. Slavery. We made devils. Because you cannot be a devil unless you're Mm. rich, unless you got money. Mm. The people who are making Mm. those bombs in in Palestine, they got money. Raytheon got money. Lockheed Martin got money. You understand what I'm saying? Mm. If we can get these people off our money, our nation and our people pop up overnight. Right. Or, uh, or excellent point, brother Muhammad. I'm going to let you go, but it, it turn away from the topic. I know he's talking yep. about logic, of course. Some somebody's got to be rich. That means somebody's got to be poor. They want to be rich all the time, and they want to keep us poor. And that's what basically what brother Muhammad was saying. Logic. Nearly fully will mm-hmm. appreciate your brother Muhammad for for using that metaphor about the bombs. Eight hundred four five zero seventy eight seventy six. I mentioned some more folks want to speak with uh, JB mm-hmm. Bryan. Sister Fahima's next. She's on line two, calling from also from the district. Good morning, Sister Fahima. Yes, greetings, uh, Mr. Nelson. Thank you for taking my call. And greetings to your guest, Ms. Um, mm-hmm. Bryan. First off, I want to say I agree a thousand percent in terms of what she had said earlier about these mm-hmm. companies and the exploitation mm-hmm. of, wa- of, uh, of wages. Mm-hmm. And it reminded mm-hmm. what prompted me to call in is I wanted to talk about the gentleman, Mr. Ford, who worked 27 years at Burger King, never missed a mm-hmm. day's work, <laughs> and they gave him a backpack, a lantern for his ID, and uh, some movie tickets and a Starbucks uh, gift card. And fortunately, mm-hmm. a family member had a presence of mind to do a GoFundMe for him, and he $300,000 was raised, and he was able to buy, wow. his, buy a house. Um, but unfortunately, mm-hmm. he sort of 
go back and work for Burger King. You know, and the thing is, it's just absolutely outrageous how these companies are exploiting people. I just want to say a couple, mm-hmm. make a couple other points. You know, I started out in the financial sector. I was a uh, manager of a credit unit before I changed careers. And while I was, when I came up through the ranks, I observed how people spent their money. A lot of city, I worked for a credit mm-hmm. unit was the, for uh, city and state employees in New York. And I saw how people would get paid on a Thursday and they would be overdrawn Mm. on Monday. And I learned Mm. from the bad habits of others. So I ended up getting uh, IRAs to reduce my uh, taxable Mm. income, annuities, Mm. even bought Mm. some stock in uh, Urban One over time. And the fact of the matter is we got to do what we got to do today so we can do what we want to do tomorrow. Now, I have a, a friend who, her and I, we are colleagues. We went to high school together. And while I was going to graduate school and becoming a professional, girlfriend was holding down two full-time jobs and stockpiling mm. her money. And she 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 has mm. more money than I do. But And I said to mm. her the other day, you want to be careful because while you are, are saving and what have you, and you'll be gone, and then there are pe- people will be squandering your money. So you do what you got to do mm. today so you can do mm. what you want to do tomorrow. So she decided mm. at 63 to take her first first-class plane ride because the people, mm. if she dies today or tomorrow, that all of that money that she saved, other people are going to be enjoying the benefits right. of it and squandering it. So, you, so what I learned right. to do, you do what you got to do today so you can do what you want to do tomorrow. Now, Mr. Nelson, mm. I, I'm not going to be able to call in when Dr. Kayla comes on, so I just want to say this. Um, I want to reiterate that um, that Congresswoman from from New York, Stefanik, was removed because of her petition participation in January 6th, and that's why it was her motive. She was moved from Harvard. That was her motivation for going after Dr. Gay. And we have to be mindful of that. Mm-hmm. And Dr. Gay may have been sloppy in her citation, but she was not a plagiarist. And I'll just leave mm-hmm. it at that. And I want to thank Miss mm-hmm. uh, your guest for, because I said this last Friday, that the uh, zero balance transfers are not as prevalent because it's tied to the economy and the financial institutions don't have an incentive mm. for doing so. Mm. So anyway, I thank mm. you uh, for sharing the information right. that you did and I'll continue to listen. Do what right. you got to do today right. so you can do what you want to do tomorrow. Yeah, that's a good motto right there, Sister Fahima. Uh, JB, I'll let you hold your response. Yep. We've got to take a short break and then you can respond to what, uh, right. some of the things that Sister Fahima said. Family, you want to join this uh, conversation this morning, reach out to us at 800-450-7876. We'll take your phone calls in four minutes right here. It's six away from the top of the hour. In Baltimore on 1010 WLB. If you're in the DMV, we roll in on FM 95.5. And AM 1450 WOL or information is power. And good morning again, family. Minute after the top of the hour with JB Bryan, a financial advisor. She's a financial expert from Afroeconomics. And standing on deck, we got Dr. James Taylor out in California. We'll get to him momentarily. So, JB, I'm going to get you, if you quickly respond to what Sister Fahima said. And Charles in Baltimore has a quick question for you. Charles? All right, let's go to Charles then. Charles? Okay. Online two. Everybody. Yes, how's everybody doing today? Great, thank you. Yes. Uh, well, I'm wondering about 
the money being the catalyst to our enslavement. And the one money being the catalyst that took away our freedom. Because we were free before the colonists came here and introduced money and British law. So I'm wondering, why do we keep money when we know that that is what enslaved us and that freedom is not the Emancipation Proclamation, but it's the absence of money in British law? All right, let's get a chance to respond. Kind of convoluted pr- premise there, but uh, uh, <laughs> I see you looking up in the skies because I'm watching JP. Uh, exactly. <laughs> yeah. I'll let you like, respond to Charles's you know, question. I mean, Go ahead. I, I Thanks, Charles. Um, I- yeah, you know, I, I think it even um, deeper when we go back to um, the uh, original brother that um, kind of connected to that topic about how we use our resources in general, whatever we use for commerce. Um, now we're moving into, you know, a digital environment dollars, but they're done digitally one place to another. And he was saying that, you know, that, um, so so much of our money is used in, in the wrong way. And we've touched on that, but specifically, I do feel that our community, um, knowing now what we know, that our income has to be used correctly in order to protect our life, that we should stop spending money on anything that's not benefiting us, even like benefiting us in a more most disciplined way. Like um, if, if money is tight, then um, pray and, and, and seek for a more disciplined lifestyle that maybe if you remove a lot of the entertainment, that things could be better for your family. So I, I feel that, that we should be empowered by the discussions that we're having and that if we start reappropriating where I was talking about, like my, my biggest role models, my most wealthy clients, you know, and them being black men, that, that we, you know, um, regardless of what the media says and how things are presented, when we look at the reality of our community, it's not the way that it's always presented on the media. And some things that we're doing with our money is not benefiting us. So instead of saying like that, um, I say just take control, take control of every dollar that you spend. You know, and JB, I'm going to let you go. Before we let you go, though, you mentioned mm-hmm. your wealthier clients are men. I'm just wondering, what's what, what happening to the wealthier sisters? You know, the richest black woman I could think mm-hmm. about, aside from mm-hmm. Oprah, got, got her money through mm-hmm. Bob, Bob Johnson's wife, got her money through marriage. Mm-hmm. But this is for a topic for another day that we can discuss about mm-hmm. uh, women and black mm-hmm. women, especially, and making money. But before I let mm-hmm. you go, though, you're going to be on CBS later, TV later today. Can you tell us when, where? McDonald's is not new to chicken. So maybe stop questioning that chicken cred and get your hands on the McCrispy. Juicy fried chicken, buttery bun, unmatched pickle to chicken ratio. Yeah, they know what they're doing. In fact, we can honestly say they're not new to chicken. They're true to chicken. The McCrispy. Only at McDonald's. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. And what time? Yeah, the verb. Virginia, the Virginia This Morning show on CBS 6. 
go to WTVR.com and you can stream it live or go to Afroeconomics.com. Look in my event calendar and you can click on. You'll see this discussion also. I always put you on my calendar and they'll see that um, later on this morning. I'll be at CBS 6. So uh, what city What city is that going to be in, JB? The, they broadcast out of Richmond, the capital okay. of Richmond, uh, the capital of Virginia. But the Virginia This Morning Show, you can get it anywhere, but just um, put that in Google and you can live stream as well. But it's WTVR CBS 6 in Virginia. We'll check you thank out. You thank for you. This opportunity. Thank no, you. thank you. Thank you. <laughs> yeah. A great discussion this morning. Thank you, JB Bryan. Great. All right, folks. Let's turn over our attention now at sixth out of the top of the Dr. James Taylor. Dr. Taylor, happy new year. Welcome back to the program. Happy 2024, and thank you for having me back. Uh, Dr. Taylor, first off, I, I want to ask you about the ouster of Dr. Claudine Gay. As a, uh, as a person who works in, in, in the college ranks, how do you see that? How do, as a black person, how did you see her ouster? Well, you know, I've sat back and watched mostly black women uh, scholars uh, and most of them my colleagues uh, from around the country um, in political science, but also in, you know, women's studies, feminist studies, you know, sociology, every background respond. And there's just a general sadness. I, I looked at, you know, I, I follow Nikki Hannah Jones on, on, on Twitter. And, you know, she expressed a lot of what people are feeling, the sense that this was a, an attack, that this had nothing to do with anti-Semitism, It had nothing to do with plagiarism. It had nothing to do with academic dishonesty. Um, and it ultimately had to do with a right-wing conspiracy to take her out. And that's what they did, and they bragged about it and then posted their formula as to how they targeted Claudine Gay, and they're in planning on reproducing it again and again. They're targeting uh, Yale University now. Uh, and what they've done is, and this is why, I, you know, I know the devil is real. Uh, and I mean, the Mal- Malcolm's devils are real. Um, you know, we have this new thing called artificial intelligence or this emergent thing called artificial intelligence. And it hasn't solved one problem in the world, not one. AI ain't did nothing for humanity. It ain't solved poverty. It hasn't solved police shootings. It hasn't solved gangs. It hasn't solved anything. But yet they put AI to use to trace Claudine Gay's research. So they just did these searches of word searches of her whole career. And these people are talking about having AI setups. I don't have the technological knowledge behind this, but they apparently are talking about having these networks of AI that will go around and purge all universities in America of, of, of any kind of radical or, 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 or you know, questionable scholarship. And now all universities in America are going to have to use AI to trace its faculties and its research to make sure there aren't more vulnerabilities like a Claudine Gay. So Yale has to make sure they don't have a Claudine Gay on, 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 on faculty. Now, that's a terrible thing to say because she was the president of Harvard. But what I've sort of looked at in terms of your question about the, the, the chilling effect that this has had um, throughout the academy, black women scholars in particular are used to and too familiar with this kind of abuse. Nikki Hannah-Jones went through it herself. 
because of the 1619 Project. It was Nikki Hannah-Jones first, and it was at North Carolina. And now it's Claudine Gay at Harvard. But let's also look, where did affirmative action get defeated recently? At the University of North Carolina and Harvard. And this Jewish man, and I'm going to say it, this Jewish man bloomed because I think black people are too afraid to call things what they are, and the devil got his hands around our neck, and we're afraid to call the devil the devil. We're just talking about somebody has their hand around our neck. No, it's the devil. And when, when you look at the ways in which uh, Nikki Hannah-Jones was targeted for the 1619 Project, black scholars, black academics, historians in the National Council of Black Studies even, Howard University historians all condemned her and lined up against her. And then they got rid of her at North Carolina, and then she went to Howard University. And they recently called for Claudine Gay to have some dignity and go to Howard University. Remember what they did to Cornell West. Cornell West left, went to Union Theological Seminary in New York City. When he tried to, uh, uh, he had been at Princeton, gave up uh, his tenure, went to, um, uh, you know, uh, Harvard, tried to come back to Harvard. And they would not allow him to have his tenure back, as, as renowned as Cornell West is. So it's not just black women, it's black men and black women academics. And Cornell West, Nikki Hannah-Jones, and now Claudine Gay are three primary examples of the ongoing war against black America. Now, this happens to be at the intellectual level, at the elite level, that they're targeting black elites. Um, but I think it's also the case that there are, you know, programs and policies in place to undermine everyday um, ordinary people. And, and I think that's where, uh, you know, much of what we're seeing in, 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 our, in our social and, and public, um, uh, how do I say, in our popular culture is, is sort of this, you know, black on black elite criticism, you know, where, you know, cat. Uh, Williams has gotten a lot of attention for criticizing other black elites. Uh, you know, in that same conversation, uh, Cat Williams has done a lot for ordinary, ordinary people. If you listen to the, the sort of, you know, different themes in, in his uh, interview with, with Shannon Sharp, and, and, and I want to borrow from that interview the politics of, of Cat Williams. And what I mean by that is that it's time for truth telling. And I, and I don't mean like what what um, t uh, what Cat Williams believes politically or ideologically. I'm just talking about the framework, the 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 the, um, the mode in which he brought his truths as he understands them. Because there are many people that were offended, many people reject a lot of what uh, happened, and they're starting to sort of, as the dust settles, feel a little bit different. But the initial reaction was astounding, with almost 40 million responses throughout social media platforms to this interview. But it was about truth-telling. And it has set a tone, I think, and I think most of us better be careful, uh, Carl, because we have, you know, regular jobs and we're not millionaires, so we can't afford to go around cussing everybody out, cussing out all our colleagues we got beefs with. But I think it is time that black people act like Cat Williams did towards his black elite colleagues in terms of our own criticism of black elite political leaders right now. 
Um, well, hold on there, because we're going to take a quick break, Dr. Taylor. When we come back, we will uh, drill down on what Cat Williams said and, and what, what they said about Diddy, what they said about T.D. Jakes, and, and, and now we've got Epstein. All these revelations are coming out. People say it's a sign of the times. I want to get your thoughts on that. It's just, just not just Cat Williams. She seems like everybody's been outed. If you got some skeletons in your closet, family, <laughs> they're coming out. Is it a sign of the times, do you think it is? Or, or how do you see why it's all happening or seemingly happening uh, at the same time around about now. I'll let you respond when we get back after the short break. 14 after the top of the hour with Dr. James Taylor. It, he's, a, uh, he's a political expert, family, a black political expert, talking about the politics of Cat Williams. What are your thoughts? 800-450-7876. Those are the numbers to get you in. To speak to Dr. Taylor, we'll take your calls in four minutes right here in Baltimore on 1010 WLB. If you're in the DMV, run FM 95.9 and AM 1450 WOL where information is power. And good morning again, family. 21 minutes after the top of the hour, Dr. James Taylor teaches at the University of San Francisco, a political scientist by trade. We're discussing, and he's making the connection between what's the, the politics of Cat Williams and what happened to a former Harvard uh, president, uh, Dr. Claudine Gay. All these revelations, uh, uh, Dr. Taylor's asking you, some people think we're at the end of times. This, this is definitely the end of times. All these revelations coming out and the ascension of, of Donald Trump. How do you see, do, do you, is, is that something you subscribe to or you think something else is at work here? I don't think it's the end of times any more than, you know, any other period of evil. Uh, we've had plenty of evil periods. Um, Hitler might have been the end of time. Lincoln thought the Civil War was the end of time. Um, I'm sure the Native Americans thought when they saw the first white man, it was the end of time. Um, you know, I, I don't prescribe to that, but I do understand people's sense of being sea under siege with so much negativity nonstop. And I think this is one of the side effects, one, of COVID. I think we've moved on beyond COVID too quick. Uh, you're having to, we're seeing in certain cities that they're, they're banning uh, ski masks because that's connected to the pandemic, but people are using them to cover their faces for ongoing crime activity. And so we're still being affected by COVID in every possible way, I, with, with the exception of the sense of emergency that we had, uh, you know, from the federal level on down. Um, but I also think, you know, it has to do with, you know, disinvestment in people. I mean, we can go real deep into capitalism or just how much, you know, Ronald Reagan took $55 trillion from the middle classes, from every race, $55 trillion. $55 trillion was taken by Ronald Reagan. And that's why you have white people on fentanyl. One of the things Cat Williams said in one of his stand-ups a while back was that the one thing black people ain't making is any fentanyl. And he was talking about how we're not messing with fentanyl, and you could touch it and die. But what's so deep about that is that's a part of the larger white crisis in America. Uh, you can go on Google and look up the phrase, um, deaths of despair. And it's only about white people. The crisis of white America. Ronald Reagan destroyed the middle class when he redistributed wealth. And that's why Bernie Sanders and Elizabeth Warren became so important, because they were articulating for the last two presidential election cycles the, the pain that ordinary white people, middle class people in general, were feeling from the $55 trillion purge. Google how much did Ronald Reagan's trickle-down economics cost America and see if you don't get $55 trillion. That's why we have homelessness. That's why we have the fentanyl crisis. That's why you have the opioid crisis all over America, you know? And so 
I think it's a, it's a conflation of events. I mean, from a religious perspective, yes, I can see where someone could say these are the end times, right? That's called eschatology, the, you know, the study of end times. Um, you know, the idea of the rapture, which is not even biblical. It's not in the book of Thessalonians. The word rapture is just a made-up word and concept. And, and you know I, know, I know all of their theologies. I know all of the doctrines of the end times. I teach it at the university. I teach religion and politics, so I have to know the various theologies, including, you know, the Nation of Islam, for example. Their eschatology is that at some point the mothership, the mother plane, is going to come back with a bunch of smaller ships and destroy every white person in America. That's what the Nation of Islam believes. It's called the mothership. My friend of, uh, just uh, from LSU just published a book called In and Out of the Nation of Islam. And it's about the UFO uh, teachings of the Nation of Islam that goes back 90 years that most people don't know about. But Farrakhan re 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 revived the teaching of the mothership, and in the mothership is believed to be the Honorable Elijah Muhammad and, uh, um, and Master Farad Muhammad, and the two of them will come, you know, with like, like almost avenging angels to, to destroy the white world. That's the eschatology of the Nation of Islam, roughly. Um, you know, so all religions see the worst in the world, um, and politics is aimed at trying to fix the bad things that are in the world. Um, and I think where where Cat, Cat Williams resounds right now is because there's so much noise and so much uh, information overload that it's kind of refreshing to hear someone speak bluntly and clearly in a, in a manner that people can sift through all of the confusion and all of the lies and all of the, the, mis, you know, the misrepresentations. We're living in a society that they're calling a post-truth society where the, president, the previous president's lies, and I, I know all presidents lie, but the previous president Trump's lies were so extensive that it had an impact on how we even see the truth now. We, we call it alternative facts and things of that sort. And this stuff does um, play out um, and, and affect everything. And so if people feel like, you know, these are end of days, I don't think it's because these times are any worse than any other times. They're just the current times and they're different times. But I think some of the contributing factors are, are you know, are some of the old players, you know, in terms of poverty, racism, uh, sexism, um, you know, uh, presidential politics, uh, and, and, and things of this sort. So, and, and the the point, the reason why I really want to borrow this concept of of Cat Williams in this in this, this conversation is not for anything that he said. I'm not interested in what he said about anybody. I'm just borrowing the framework that it's time for truth telling, and it's and it's and, and where I really want to make the analogy more directly to Cat Williams and what he did was he went after mostly black elites. He only mentioned one white person in three hours, and that was Harvey. Uh, Weinstein. Otherwise, Cat Williams was only talking to black people about black elites in their midst. And there's some truth telling that needs to happen with us in terms of our politics and our relationship to the Democratic Party. So in my head right now, I'm making an analogy that black America is Cat Williams. And the Democratic Party are all those black comedians he criticized. The black Democratic leadership of the Democratic Party is, is what I'm trying to focus on. So just like he focused on black comedians, I'm saying we need to look at the Democrats and black Democrats in particular. 
because they have served a particular function in most cities. And we got black women, we got a new black woman mayor in Chicago named Cheryl Park, Sherelle Parker. We got Brandon Johnson in Chicago who replaced Lori Lightfoot. We have black mayors in D.C. We have black mayors in most cities, Baltimore. We have black mayors in San Francisco and Los Angeles. And in most of these places, you have reparations uh, programs. And I'm here to tell the audience, as a member of the San Francisco Reparations Committee, our committee ends today, tonight at 5 o'clock. We end our work on reparations in San Francisco. That's separate from what they have going on at the state level. The state Reparations Committee delivered 1,100 pages of documented evidence, and now it's up to the state legislature, and something is going to come out of the state legislature. At the city level, the thing that we've been able to get most uh, support for is the idea of bringing an HBCU extension out to San Francisco. So you can go to Howard or, let's say, um, Spelman and take classes out in San Francisco. They're calling, they're having a meeting this week with all of these uh, HBCU people coming to San Francisco. So that's the biggest thing coming out of San Francisco is a, uh, is a HBCU extension but also an attempt to find ways to give cash payments to elderly black San Franciscans. But we meet tonight for our last meeting. But London Breed already killed our work. See, this is what Kat did. Kat was calling people out. And that's what I'm saying. London Breed is the black woman mayor of San Francisco who's from the projects. She got a brother in prison who killed his girlfriend on the Golden Gate Bridge. This ain't gossip. She has a sister who, who OD'd at Potero Hill in the projects. This ain't gossip. This is public record. London Breed has came from Plaza East Projects. I got an article. There's a brand new book out called Black, Wo Black Woman Mayor Magic. And I'm the one of two men in the whole book. And the article I wrote is on London Breed. And I document how she came from the very community that is now making demands for reparations. These are her relatives, her friends, uh, the people she's known for 45 plus years. Um, Talking about well, let me jump in and ask you this question, though, uh, Dr. Taylor, 30 minutes after the top there. You mentioned all these black mayors of these major cities across the country. Philadelphia just got one a couple of weeks ago. And the problems in all these black, they're all Democrats, and the problems in these cities. How do, how do you view that? Is it because they're Democrats, or is it because they're black why these cities have problems? No, I don't think it's that. I think those are effects. I think the causes are much deeper. You know, the causes are geopolitical, capitalism and, you know, priorities, policy priorities and things of that sort. But I think, you know, uh, the electoral makeup of the voter base in big cities is also conducive for black elected officials. Now, we have no black Republicans in, in you know, mayors, for example, or, you know, um, but you've had many black Democrat women mayors or, or men mayors. And so, you know, you look at, I think, many of these black elected officials, you know, Harold Cruz said in the book, Plural But Equal, that if black people had not created their own independent party by the year 2000, that we would have reached the end of black politics, because there's no real incentive for the democrats to promote a black agenda see we don't even have a black agenda because the agenda that we have is not really black it's democrat and that's what i'm afraid of is that the black democrat i've said this on your show many times before is a democrat first 
and they're black. Second, not existentially, because they live in this world and they have the you know skin tone walking through this country, and they you know people see black. But I'm talking about in their own commitments. London Breed came up with something called the, uh, the Dreamkeepers Initiative (DKI). My former student, Saida Latatufu, is in charge of the, the $50 million um, budgeted program that that's going to do a lot of good for young people in the city. And, and but the mayor will not embrace reparations. In fact, she killed it recently. In San Francisco, London Breed was asked to support a $10 million reparations office. She said no. We, we took it down to $5 million. She said no. We took it down to $2 million. She tabled it. And then she tabled it for a couple of months. And then just last week, if you look up in the newspaper, London Breed took off reparations off the table in the city of San Francisco as a part of the budgetary process. She killed it. London Breed, a daughter from the community where the people who are in pain and making demands for reparation are from, is leading the prevention of them getting reparations. So you tell me what that is. All right, right. hold that thought right there, then, and we we got to take a short break. What do you think the the reparations movement she made was was uh, you know political because not everybody wants us to get reparations, and she's you know she read the room and made that decision. I'll let you respond when we get back. Family, you want to join this conversation? Our guest, Dr. James Taylor, reach out to us at eight hundred four five zero seventy eight seventy six. Those are the magic numbers to get in. We'll take your calls in four minutes or twenty six away from the top of the hour right here in Baltimore on ten ten WOLB. If you're in the DMV. We're on FM 95.9 and AM 1450. WOL, where information is power. And good morning again, family. 22 minutes away from the top of the hour with our guest, Dr. James Taylor, political scientist, teaches political science at the University of San Francisco. And out there, they, they fight to get in on these classes but you get in for free right here so call up a couple of friends and tell them that dr taylor's on the radio before we go back to him though i just want to remind you coming up later this week here and here from another professor from morgan state university professor ray ray wimbush is going to be with us also dr clinical psychology jeff Menzies will join us and the president general of the universal african people's organization brother zaki broody will also be here so if you're in baltimore make sure your radio's locked tight right here on 1010 WOLB, if you're in the DMV, we're on FM 95.9 and AM 1450 WOL. All right, Dr. Taylor, before we left for the break, I was, my question to you was, London Breed's move to, to just scuttle the move for reparations, was that done for political expediency, or did she just figure out that the black San Franciscans, you know, just really don't care, and are probably not her voter base, or not the people who are going to keep her in office? How do you see it? Well, London Breed's done a bunch of things uh, hostile to the black community as if she was a white woman or a white man. Uh, For example, she helped overthrow three uh, non-white, including two black, uh, San Francisco Unified School District board board members before Chesa Boudin, the DA, was recalled. And she was on the wrong side of black folk on that because he's trying to do reform and and she's tough on crime. uh, you know, she had she had, you know, in, involved herself in, in, in the earlier project. Um, uh, London Breed also, um, you know, uh, tried to coll- consolidate one of the black districts, District 5, which is where the Fillmore is, the famous Western edition, Harlem of the West, and collapsed it into the Tenderloin, which is the only, you know, the poorest section of the city. And she wanted to put the black 
community where she comes from together with the tenderloin and it was confusing to the black community it's really deep here in san francisco because it comes to the point of black leadership being divided i'm from new york i'm not from san francisco but i've never seen a more divided black community than i have in san francisco given that they're only three percent so we need absolute unity with you three percent you can't afford to have division you can't, uh, yes, you do have to be monolithic. You can't be diverse and polarized and on this side and on that side of every issue. You need black unity when there's 3%. And in San Francisco, part of why our reparations project will fail. McDonald's is not new to chicken. So maybe stop questioning that chicken cred and get your hands on the McCrispy. Juicy fried chicken, buttery bun, unmatched pickle to chicken ratio. Yeah, they know what they're doing. In fact, we can honestly say they're not new to chicken. They're true to chicken. The McCrispy. Only at McDonald's. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. It's because the same thing that causes beef between the Crips and the Bloods in California is the same thing that's causing a beef with the black leadership class here in San Francisco. The, the main sponsor of reparations in the city was Amos Brown and the NACP, and he's on the city level and the state of California committee. But now Reverend Brown took it to Shimon Walton. Shimon Walton is the former president of the Board of Supervisors in San Francisco, a black man, from the, from the Bayview Hunters Point, which is, you know, where the 1966 riots happened in San Francisco, and the Black Panther Party was born two weeks later, after the San Francisco riot in 1966. That's where Shimon Walton is, District 11. He was going to run against London Breed in this coming mayoral election. So imagine that, a black woman mayor and a black president of the Board of Supervisors running against each other in a city where they're 3% black people. That's what they were thinking. And my point to you is, even though that's probably not going to happen, that's the mentality here. So, the, so, so two black politicians, instead of being united, they are reflecting the same mentality that the Crips and the Bloods and the kids who are doing the drive-bys in neighborhoods and in schools are, are, are doing. That's my observation as, a, as an academic. I've been here 25 years, and I'm sitting back, and I've stayed out of the politics of San Francisco for 20 years. I helped write a slavery disclosure ordinance in 2006. I got involved with reparations in the last two years. Again, tonight is our last meeting in San Francisco City Hall to end our reparations work. So we're coming full circle. And I can give you some, some perspective as an insider what happened. And what really happened was the two most powerful black politicians in San Francisco don't like each other because of a neighborhood beef. They're like the kids with the Crips and the Bloods in L.A. You know, you know, all over Baltimore, where there's neighborhoods that certain people can't go to. Well, that's sick in San Francisco. As small as the black community is there in black San Francisco, you better be careful where you are. If you don't know who, you know, where you are. You know, there's areas where London Breeds Projects, uh, I went on a tour recently, where her project is, it's called Plaza East. She can't go across the street to the McDonald's, which is less than 50 yards away, I was told. You know, the people that live in that neighborhood because of, of the rules uh, in those streets. So what I'm suggesting is, in the case of San Francisco, we have not been able to get unity because the main beef was between the mayor 
and the president of the board of supervisors, who is a black man. And that's what, that's what happened with reparations in San Francisco. The one who sponsored it was the brother. The one who opposed it was the mayor. If a white wow. person had opposed reparations, we might have gotten it passed. But because a brother from a neighborhood who London didn't like proposed reparations, London, it was a non-starter for London entirely. And the thing that's so deep to me, Carl, is you can go back and look at Juneteenth in San Francisco. London Breed had the biggest uh, 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 float. She had the first float. She led the parade on Juneteenth and then opposed reparations. Yeah. So what I'm saying is if you, if you go across the country, go to Chicago, go to Philly, go to New York, and you'll see the same thing. Look, look what Brandon Johnson is doing in Chicago, where he basically is advocating for these undocumented people when the black communities organize around reparations. The Congressional Black Caucus received a letter in January from a large number of organizations in support of reparations. And they have argued that, you know, the, uh, that Joe Biden could do an executive order today and, and make reparations the law of the land. Trump gave a permanent tax to corporations. That's reparations. And nobody cares. But those corporations have a permanent tax cut. That's reparations. People, under the sound of my voice, I don't know if you know this, but in California, there are about 95 recognized California Indian tribes. All of those that are formally recognized, and there's quite a few that can't get recognition, but those that are federally recognized in California, California Indians do not pay federal income tax in California, and nobody knows it. So that's reparations. Indians in California from the recognized, federally recognized tribes do not pay reparations. I mean, do not pay taxes. Yeah. Hold on, throw right there, Don Taylor. I got a bunch of folk want to talk to you from all across the country. I just got a note here from our newsroom for our, our listeners in the D.C. area. The Washington football team has just fired Ron Rivera after his fourth season with the team. And a lot of folks were hoping that would happen. Well, it just happened, so I'll just share that with you. But as I mentioned, we've got a bunch of folks from across the country want to talk to you. Let's go to line two. Uh, Jay Marie is calling from Tennessee. Jay Marie, good morning. Happy New Year. You're on with Dr. Taylor. Hi, good morning, good morning. Happy New Year, guys. Thanks for taking my call. Really quick, uh, Dr. Taylor, you mentioned uh, uh, the person uh, that you're talking about, the mayor there. Um, so how, how do, my question is, how do, how does she make it happen? When she, you know, mayoral positions are typically ceremonial positions. So she's uh, calling plays that she didn't write or was probably not at the table when they were written. So help her you know talk to her what can she yeah. do how does she yeah, it's, it's it? really how interesting make it happen yeah i mean willie brown is still the most important black man in, in san francisco and willie brown is the father you know his tree gave us gavin newsom his tree uh gave us kamala harris his tree gave us uh, uh alex padilla his tree gave us um London Breed, uh, Willie Brown. And Maxine Waters, was too. was appointed under Willie Brown, and then she worked her way up, and then she got into District 5, the Black District of Fillmore, and became the city council representative there. But she was always conservative. Like, when, when there was black crime incidents, London would speak out and criticize black individuals, you know, openly and publicly, like a sister, like, we're not putting up with y'all acting up, you know. And she was able to use that local language and have those conversations. And the community also took great pride in her rise. But she was never expected to be mayor. Again, I have an article that you can find, Temple University, 
uh, uh, published a book. It's on black woman mayors. Um, and Willie Brown says the only reason why London became the president of the board of supervisors is because they never expected that she would ever be president or mayor. And then, and then, and then while she was board of supervisors, president, Ed Lee, the Chinese, the first Chinese mayor died of a heart attack in December of 2017. And so London Breed had to get, you know, traction, but as soon as she became a temporary mayor, they removed her and that, that, upset the black community so that she ends up getting support from the black community because the Democrats attacked her. That's the, that's the other dynamic in this state that people don't appreciate. What happened to Barbara Lee, we've talked about on call show recently, but that is an indication that even with Gavin Newsom, when he made this appointment of this lesbian woman from Maryland to California's second Senate seat, um, you know, is, 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 is related to, um, you know, the, 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 these politics and the mistreatment of black women mayors and other leaders in the state. I'm saying Barbara Lee got mistreated. I'm saying London Breed, when she first came in, uh, the first stint she did, she got taken out of office so that she couldn't use incumbency to run again. So when they did that to her, it backfired on those people that removed her and the city united uh, uh, behind London when they removed her. So she was seen as a victim when she got removed as the interim mayor after the mayor died. When she was holding that position, they moved her and put a rich white man, millionaire Democrat in who was conservative in her place. So then London had to win her seat back and the black community united behind London. But London's other constituencies are bikers, like bicycle lane people. It's a big organization in the city um, uh, called Critical Mass. Then there is um, the fire department. The fire, fire, fire workers, firemen, are the, and the fire unions are the number one support for London Breed in San Francisco. And then there's the Chinese community and the larger Asian community, which is the, you know, the, the second largest population in the city. And they oppose us on everything. And that's where you come back to talking about other Asians like Vivek Ramaswamy and Nikki Nimarada Haley, where these people, Indians are Asians, and a lot of people don't know that I had a, stupid, a student of mine, a white girl one time, about 20 years ago, trying to tell me, the professor, that Indians weren't Asians, and I never forgot about that. But Indians are Asians for the record, if you don't know it or not. And so even when you look at the way in which Vivek Ramaswamy and Nikki Haley are running, they're running on race. They're running as model minorities running around talking about racism's almost over. Um, affirmative action doesn't really, uh, affirmative action is wrong. Vivek Ramaswamy, his daddy and mama came here illegally. This boy is a, what they call an anchor baby. He got affirmative action, got affirmative action and Ivy League school and still opposes affirmative action. Nikki Haley's daddy, because he was brown, couldn't find a job anywhere in America, but a black university in South Carolina named Voorhees, which is the HBCU, hired him. Her mother provided dresses to the black women going to churches on Sundays. Nikki Haley's family could not have survived without black people in South Carolina. And yet Nikki Haley had a disgusting goal the other day to stand up in front of an audience and pretend that slavery had nothing to do with the Civil War. And this is this game they play. And, you know, and, and Ramaswamy is doing it, too. But I want to bring that back to San Francisco. The number one opponents to reparations in California was the Chinese community. But you can't say it. 
See, that, this is the Cat Williams part of this conversation. The Chinese community opposes reparations. The Asian community more broadly opposes reparations. The Japanese community in San Francisco supports reparations. Let me be clear. The Chinese community has not been as supportive. Now, recently, Chinese individuals have. But the Chinese uh, uh, Chamber of Commerce, for example, will not support reparations. And I have a student that works in the state assembly, a Chinese student of mine, and she said that while she was volunteering in the state assembly, seven people a day were coming into this Chinese state assemblyman's office saying do not support black reparations. And we have no idea that this is going on behind our backs. So when you look at what happened in in the school board removal, it was the Asian community against the black community, and London Breed chose the Asian community because the black people who she removed, who got removed, were trying to open up the school for more black people. They were trying to open up the number one school in San Francisco. It's called Lowell, L O W E L L, and Lowell is like the, the, the you know the premier school, and it's dominated by Asians and whites. And so when that board tried to open it up to non-whites and more brown people and black people, they got rid of them. Um, and then, again, in the state of California, the number one funders opposing f- affirmative action, if you look at expenditures from the 2020 election, it was Chinese community organizations, a million dollars. Nobody else in the black community gave $50,000. Nobody in black California cared about affirmative action because it's been gone since 1996. And yet the Chinese community was still making sure it couldn't come back in 2020. And that was before what happened at Harvard and at University of North Carolina, where they allowed themselves to be played with this, this devil named Boone, who in turn um, uh, uh, duped them. And now we're seeing all the postmortems on these affirmative action cases. And guess who's crying the loudest in America about the, the erasure of affirmative action? The Chinese community and the Asian community that helped get rid of it at Harvard and in North Carolina. Now all these legacy white kids who are unqualified to be at Harvard by themselves, but because their granddaddies and grandmamas went there, are the main group that's going to be there. So all the Asian community did by ignoring us was allowed themselves to be removed, allowed us to be removed, and they did it trying to be um, quiet and hating on us quietly. And right. And hold that thought right there, Dr. T. We've got to take a quick break. I'll let you finish your thought. And we've got a bunch of folks who want to talk to you from across the country. If we can shut up your response, I'd appreciate it. Six away from the top. I'll be back in four minutes with Dr. Taylor. Any phone calls right here in Baltimore on 1010 WOLB. Also on the DMV, we're on FM 95.9 and AM 1450. WOL, where information is power. And good morning once again, family minute after the top of the hour with Dr. James Taylor, a black politics expert. Dr. Taylor's in taking in prisoners this morning. You want to speak to him, reach out to us at 800-450-7876. I'll make your question short so we can get to all these other callers who want to speak with Dr. Taylor. Let's go to line one. Carl's is reaching out to us. He's in Palm Beach, Florida. Carl, good morning. You're on with Dr. Taylor. How are you doing, family? I just wanted to make a quick observation and then a question. And I just want to say the effects of crack on our community. I think this is where they place this stuff in order to take over the real real estate that black people had invested in. And I know that was what's happening with our mayor here in Palm Beach County and West Palm Beach, which is the largest municipality because they wanted to take over the land. If you come to Florida, they done did it all the way along the East Coast. 
But my question mm. was to you, bro- brother um, uh, Taylor, um, um, with the word anti-Semitism being such a flaming word around the globe, and then with Minister Farrakhan filing a lawsuit against the Anti-Defamation League and the Simon Wiesenthal Center, why do you think that we are not hearing anything about that? I mean, because they've got Kanye, they got a few others that made them submit, but we never hear them challenge the uh, Minister Farrakhan in the nation Islam. What's your take on that? I think if, if Farrakhan had done this back in, if Farrakhan had done this like 20 years ago when he was a lot younger, like when he did the Minimum March, it would have a lot more traction. Farrakhan's gotten older, and the time has passed Farrakhan. He's still important. I'm not dismissing him, but I'm just saying in terms of his critical edge as a leader, um, you know, he had that moment, and if he had, you know, uh, sued um, the Anti-Defamation League, and let me be clear, I went to a march in uh, at UCLA when Tom Bradley was still mayor, going back in the 80s, and Farrakhan was the litmus test for all the black mayors. That's what's happened with reparations. I mean, this is a good analogy, Carl. What happened with Farrakhan in the 80s, Tom Bradley, Willie Wilson, good in Philly, David Dinkins in New York, every black mayor had a litmus test on Farrakhan. And everywhere Farrakhan went, they had to give Farrakhan the thumbs down or be called anti-Semitic. Now it's reparations. Now all the black political establishment is quiet. Listen, listen to the silence of the black leadership class on reparations. You got a handful of people like Cori Bush and Sheila Jackson Lee, but the Congressional Black Caucus has not taken a formal position on reparations. How is that possible? They're being asked now to support reparations and asking them to lobby the Congressional Black Caucus to lobby Biden directly. Now, let me be fair and say California has its own California Congressional Black Caucus, and it is actually really uh, strongly supporting the campaign and the marketing for reparations in the state. So there's two different things going on. But in D.C., the Congressional Black Caucus doesn't even have an official position on reparations, even though key members are leading in the fight going back to John Conyers with H.R. 40. Again, in January... Of, of last year, the um, uh, Congressional Black Caucus was given a long list of strategies on how to get Biden to embrace reparations as a policy issue. But I think, you know, even if you disagree with me or my tone, ask yourself, what is the difference in Biden's position on reparations and Trump's? And what is the difference in Kamala Harris? And remember, Kamala Harris is the mentor to London Breed. This is her big sister. These aren't, you know, distant. These people are very close. So what London's doing in San Francisco is being coordinated in Washington, D.C., in the same way that Washington, D.C. coordinated the appointment of the black woman from Maryland into the U.S. Senate position. That was all coordinated by California Democrats and the White House. And they did it to make sure Barbara Lee um, was weakened uh, because they know she has an anti-Ukraine, anti Israel, in terms of policy, you know, in terms of funding, she's anti-war. And the Democrats love war. And, and Barbara Lee, I'm saying, was undermined within the state by Gavin Newsom, because if she was appointed temporarily to act as, as the current uh, acting senator is, Barbara Lee would take positions that would frustrate Biden and, 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 and Harris's policy agenda. All right, 800-450-7876, after the top of the hour. Let's go to Baltimore City on line three. Marvin, good morning, Marvin. You're on with Dr. Taylor. Hey, Carl, how you doing? How you 
doing this morning, Carl. All right, all right. First, first of all, I want to say something to Dr. Taylor. How you doing, Dr. Taylor? I'm great. I'm great. Uh, Dr. Taylor, listen, you're a good man, and what you're saying is right. I ain't knocking you no kind of a way. Well, I just want to tell you something. The reason why that conversation you have the day that you're talking about is because, see, black people get in positions that they don't own and they don't control. And listen, I'm going to say this. I'm not prejudiced. I like white people just as well as I like black people. But let me tell mm-hmm. you one thing. White people put black people in those positions to do exactly just what's going on there. Augur. Right. Because, right. see, black people don't have control. Black people didn't make their part of that position. Didn't front no money for nothing. Didn't build anything. Didn't do anything. But they grabbed those positions knowing how far they're going to be able to go. But they ain't going to tell you that. You see what I'm saying? They're going to just leave right. total chaos. But for good people like you to come in and explore, explore them and tell out on them, what's going to happen? They're going to listen to you and go right back to the same thing. Because, see, they don't pay their stuff. They don't own that position. Right. So they had to right. listen to what the white people tell them. So you're going to see that all the time. So Robbie, I, I, I wouldn't even mention it. I'll tell you what, I'll give right. you a promise there, but I'm going to get up off of here. Let's say Morgan State College, all black red college, right? Right? Right. Do, right. You, get, do you get that problem from Morgan and them? Right. No. You know why? Because guess what? That's ran by their own organization, blacks and everything else. They don't right. have to ask the answer to nobody. You see what I'm saying? So this right. is our biggest problem here where we can't really see our actual problem. These black people in these positions... They want to do right, but they right. can't. And the right. reason why, because they don't own it. Yeah, they don't own it. They can't do nothing. Yeah. All right, let's yeah. give them a chance to respond, Marvin. That's an interesting concept there, Dr. Taylor. Is it because of the money? Because our, our community does not support our elected officials financially? No, I, think, I think it's because these black people put careerism and party over the people. Party over people. Party over people. They're Democrats first, black second, even though they're black people in terms of their priorities. Again, Brandon Johnson is standing up for immigrants and the black community screaming at the top of his lungs in Chicago for reparations. And Brandon Johnson is death tone to black people's demands. Black people all over America and every city is listening to all of these billions of dollars going over to a bunch of racists in Ukraine and a bunch of racists in the Middle East and Biden funding all the racism in the world. But he ain't got no money for us. Biden hasn't even said the word reparations. And what's even deeper, it just also goes back to Barack Obama. I don't care if you love Obama or not. You have to acknowledge that when Ta-Nehisi Coates wrote that important article, a, the case for reparations, and changed the discourse in America to this day, it happened on Obama's watch. You tell me how in the hell did Obama get away with not addressing Ta-Nehisi Coates' article and reparations? Because he never did as president. It was like an open secret. Ta-Nehisi Coates, MacArthur Genius Award, all over the country speaking about the case of reparations, and Obama got away without saying a word. Kamala Harris and Biden are extensions of, of, of Obama. And, and this is the funny thing, because in California, Gavin Newsom, is acting like he's going to support reparations. But, but, but now all of a sudden, it's sort of like the white Democrats are stepping back and letting the black Democrats stand up and be in position while they tell us no to reparations. Because a recent report that the Congressional Black Caucus was given in this letter appealing for H.R. 40, they documented uh, you know, all of the injury to black, you know, to black folk and and the ways in which, um, you know, 
these, these you know, uh, rep repertory justice could come out of uh, a reparations plan. Um, but McDonald's is not new to chicken. So maybe stop questioning that chicken cred and get your hands on the McCrispy. Juicy fried chicken, buttery bun, unmatched pickle to chicken ratio. Yeah, they know what they're doing. In fact, we can honestly say they're not new to chicken. They're true to chicken. The McCrispy. Only at McDonald's. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Right now you have key black leaders in every major city. L.A., San Francisco, Chicago, New York, Philadelphia. Brothers and sisters, in the 80s when we had that, we called it the new black politics. That's what it was called in the black politics literature. When you had Dinkins and Willie Good and Mayor Bradley in L.A., it was called the new black politics. Well, we have another new black politics right now because you got, key, you got black people in all the key cities in America. And the black community has been re raised up in reparations. And the black Democrats are going to be used by the Democratic Party to kill reparations in America. And this is the deep thing. I get a lot of hell. I get a lot of flat. I don't have no friends call. Those people don't be calling on me left and right because I asked them this. I, I was in a, a speech. I, I gave a lecture, a, a, a prestigious lecture in San Francisco where all these prestigious people were in a room. And I was one of three black people in the room. And there's about 300 white people. And I asked them, I said, how can you, and I'm asking everyone that can hear me right now, how can you have the same position that your racist great-great-grandfather had? That's what the modern white person hasn't dealt with, that their, their position on reparation is barely improved over the 1800s position or the early 1900s position or the 1930 white position or the 1950 white position on reparations has not changed since the 2020s. So, so in other words, I'm saying it backwards, but you get my point. Since, you know, going backwards to the 1800s, if you poll white people on reparations, the modern white 25 years into the 21st century is no more enlightened on reparations than the white person who was hanging up from trees. And that's the sickness of what we're dealing with. The, 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 we're dealing with the mind of a colonizer. And the problem of black America, and this is the only thing I know to be true if they shoot me right now. The problem of black America is our problem is colonial and colonized. And that's why we are surrounded like Africans in the jungle wherever we go by colonial forces and we can't seem to escape them. We're like colonized natives in our own, in this land. And so America is like a colony to us, but we keep trying to solve it through race. And that's, that's, and that's our fundamental problem. We've never been able to address the colonial circumstance of black America like the Jamaicans or like the Dominicans might be able to or like the Brazilians. Those are all recognized colonies. The black folk are colonized here in America, and all we think about is integration. Mm. Hold that thought right there. We do want to take a quick break. Yeah, Dr. Taylor, hold that thought right there. we got a bunch of folks who want to talk to you again. 800-450-7876. You want to join this conversation with Dr. Taylor from the University of San Francisco. Reach out to us. We'll take your calls in four minutes, though, right now at 14 after the top of the hour. Right here in Baltimore on 1010 WOLB. If you're in the DMV, we're on FM 95.9 and AM 1450 with WOL, where information is power. I'm 
good morning again, family. 20 minutes after the top of the hour with our guest, the black politics expert, Dr. James Taylor from the University of San Francisco. is a political scientist by trade. I'd like to speak to him, 800-450-7876. I mean, there's a bunch of folks who want to speak to you, Dr. Taylor. Let's go to line one, though, Kevin. Let's go to the UK, London. Paul's waiting for us in, in London town. Good morning, Paul. Oh, Paul, the cop. All right, let's go to Christian on line four then in Malibu. Good morning, Christian. Good morning, gentlemen. Uh, please listen to me for a second. Governor Newsom is uh, for the entire state of California. Reparations is just not for San Francisco. It's a statewide initiative, which he's vetoed. He put it to the side, and he's not going to bring it in. So what it is, he could have signed it and made it law, even if it took 12 or 13 years to implement all the money. He didn't do that. He's not going to do that. The second thing is, with uh, this plagiarism, I'm born and raised in California. I'm not from New York, so I know the field. In July of, of 2023, the president of Stanford resigned because of plagiarism. Mark Chesler Levine at Stanford University. Now, in California, at these universities, they don't play plagiarism. None of it. So I don't know. Um, this woman, uh, she probably has some good practices. But what it was, the panel that selected her, when they did the review, and they cited 46 examples of plagiarism, but still passed it through, then that has to be looked at. So maybe Harvard did have an initiative. But the other thing is this. Kamala Harris is a prop. They just had a meeting down in uh, Mexico about the border. Now, remember, she's a border czar, a border, border czar. They didn't even include her in the meeting. So what I'm saying mm-hmm. is she's a castaway. They're using these people as props. Go ahead, doctor. All right. Thanks, no, Christian. I, 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 so I think he makes some really good points and, and observations, and I think he's right to emphasize the Stanford University president situation. Um, and there's a couple of uh, people who are presidents of universities that weren't academics at all right now. Um, and again, um, I think you know it, it, it's it's really frustrating um, because you know you could go around and look at everybody's background, right? Like who you know. Who, he who is without sin amongst you, let him be the first to cast a stone. Martin Luther King plagiarized. Um, that's a documented fact that in his Boston University PhD dissertation, he plagiarized. The, the words freedom ring, let freedom ring, let freedom ring, let freedom ring. Those come from his graduate classmates' speech in Boston University that King raised and used and included in I Have a Dream. Even part of I Have a Dream was plagiarized. If we want to play this game, but y'all worship, I have a dream, but there's plagiarized sentences in it. Look up the history of Martin Luther King's dissertation at Boston University and see the battle that uh, King's wife had to fight uh, Boston to try to keep King's dissertation under seal. Um, uh, and I haven't, and, and, and Claudine Gay is a political scientist. She's a black woman political scientist. She never belonged to the black organization that I was the president of. Let me say that again. She never belonged to the black organization that I was the president of, and we were the large. We are the largest organization of black political scientists in America, and she didn't belong to us, as far as I know. Maybe somebody hears me and will check me, but now everybody's rallying behind her. I saw some conservative Negroes criticism of her recently. He wrote a letter trying to highlight that she fired one black man and tried to fire another black man who didn't, who survived. And I'm like, okay, the president fires a faculty member. What's the big deal? But this, this guy wanted to use it against Claudine Gay to suggest that Claudine Gay comes from this sort of feminist 
backdrop that is hostile to black men, I dismissed it because I just thought it was, um, you know, an attack and piling on. But, um, you know, there is something to the fact that, like you say, you know, one of the callers said blacks have no power. You know, we don't have power in New York, L.A., San Francisco, or Chicago. Even where we have to elect these people, we don't have the political clout and power to force them to do what we do. And that goes back to my point about the colonial situation we're in. It's similar to the Irish after 700 years of internal colonialism amongst the British, where they were totally overwhelmed as a people constantly by law and custom. And I think the black American in the 21st century is still reflecting some of these old colonial um, uh, elements uh, in our daily lives. Um, and, and, and so I'll just stop right there. All right, 24 of the top there. Sandra's next on line five, calling from Baltimore. Good morning, Sandra. You're on with Dr. Taylor. Sandra there on line five? All right, let's move on, Kevin. Let's go to line two then. Money Mike in line two? Not here, Money Sandra, go ahead, Sandra. Kevin, I'm not hearing Sandra. Let's move on. Let's go to line two. Let's Hello. go to Money Mike. Hello. Hello. All right, there she is. Go ahead, Sandra. Yes, good morning. Dr. Taylor, thank you for being yes, on, Dr. Taylor. Uh, and now they come, they're going to come after uh, Secretary of State Austin now. They're going to try to throw him out of office now because they said he should have told that he was in the hospital. Mm. Mm-hmm. What do you think about that? And that's where, what, where is that located? Is Secretary of State in, in the national government or at a state level? I think, what's his name? Uh, General Austin? I'm head of the military? Oh, yeah, okay, oh, okay, yes, I know what you're talking about, the Joint Chiefs of Staff. Right. Yeah, yeah. Right, right. Well, they, well you know, he, he, he went next. Well, they already have, because he came in going after the racists in, in the, in, mm-hmm. in the barracks. And they wanted to stop him, mm-hmm. and they've been mad at him ever since. Then when they got him now, because he didn't report, he was in the hospital. Right, but you know, yeah. but I think I Thanks, Sandra. Thank you, yeah. thank you for talking about Nikki Haley, because you got a lot of black people as quiet as you kept. They won't put her resume out there, and she did absolutely nothing for South Carolina. Right. Oh, that's for sure. That's for sure. Nikki Haley uh, Nimarada is her real name, and we need to call her by her Indian name, her Hindu name, so that she can stop anglicizing herself and selling out, because she done lightened up and married a white man. Now, the funny thing is, so is Kamala Harris. They basically have done the same thing. Nikki and Kamala and Vivek, think about these people. We got three Indians running for president of the United States out of about seven people left. Kamala Harris, Vivek Ramaswamy, and Nikki Haley, all of them assimilated uh, Indians of some sort in this country, and Indians typically in this country, like they are in Africa, are extremely racist towards black Americans. I'm not afraid to say it. I told you this is Cat Williams this morning. Indians uh, Indians from, from continental India. I've been to South Africa and seen how they treat the South Africans. I never understood how Indians can leave India and go to Africa and hate Africans, but it's so thick that if there was never a Boer white South Africans, they, they wouldn't even need them. With, with all they, you know, in other words, if you replace the white South Africans with the Indians, the hate would not would, would still be in South Africa. That's how terrible it is there. So when they come here, like um, what's his name, uh, 
Dinesh D'Souza. Remember Dinesh D'Souza? They come here and they attack us. You know, and this is why I resent Martin Luther King holding up Gandhi to us. If you notice, King held up Gandhi for a few minutes in his career, early. King didn't talk about Gandhi in, 60, in, in, in 68 or 65 or 64. King talked about Gandhi in 63 and backwards, going back to the bus boycott in 55 when he first introduced himself. After that, King abandoned Gandhi. And he should have never held him up to us because it's a one-sided relationship. Martin King made Gandhi important to black America, and yet Gandhi was a racist towards the South Africans. And Gandhi, although he thought black Americans would be a good test case for his theory of nonviolence, Ahimsa and Satyagra, Gandhi had no love for black America. And King and his father's friends, Mordecai Johnson, Benjamin Mays, all these leading black men of, who were King's father's friends, they were the ones that, even, even Bayard Rustin, they introduced King to, um, to Gandhi, and then King held up Gandhi for one minute. And you know, talking about nonviolence, and after that, he never talked about Gandhi anymore. And, I, and, and, and the reality is, Gandhi supported untouchability. I'm sorry, no, no. Gandhi rejected untouchability of, of the untouchables, but Gandhi supported the caste system. And so does Nikki Haley, and so does Vivek Ramaswamy, and so does Dinesh D'Souza. So when they come to America, they see black America in terms of caste, C-A-S-T-E. The, the, the Elizabeth, uh, uh, Isabella Wilkerson just wrote a book recently called Caste talking about the black predicament in America. So we're dealing with a lot of different attitudes. New immigrants that hate us. The Ukrainians have no love for us. The American government is helping every group that is hostile to black America at the local level. And, and in many places, I think they're trying to find ways of substantiating us. Um, yeah. In Chicago, the black community is saying they're going to abandon the Democratic Party. In Michigan, the Democrats are in trouble because when Biden embraced Netanyahu, the devil that he is, um, it undermined uh, Muslim and Arab support in Michigan for the Democratic Party. Biden hurt himself with young people when he embraced Netanyahu. He hurt himself with black people because black people never forgot how Netanyahu came here and spoke before Congress and disrespected Obama while Obama was president. So, right. you know, I think and that's some real talk right there. 30 minutes after the top of the hour, Dr. Taylor, got some more folks want to talk to you. Let's just keep rolling. Let's go to line two. Money Mike's in Baltimore. Good morning, Money Mike. You're on with Dr. Taylor. Hey, Carl. Hey, Dr. Taylor. How y'all doing this morning? Great, brother. Great. Okay, Dr. Taylor. Look, 17% of America's population is African-American. 3% might be Asian and, and people of other origins. So that leaves 20% that are white. So how do we think that 20% of white people, uh, 80% of that, uh, I mean, 80% of black, I mean, are white. So how do we think that 60% of them are poor or, or lower middle class? How do we think that they're going to stand for reparations when America's uh, opinion to African-Americans is for African-Americans to remain on the bottom? It would be civil unrest. If African-American people, people of African descent, got an upper hand and whites in this country felt that they were being abandoned, they would ride in the streets. And as far as blacks in the Democratic Party, blacks have been hoodwinked by black clergy and black politicians from the beginning. We don't right. rent, lease, 
or a ball are, are politicians. We don't pay them, so they're not going to be loyal to us. Why do we think that just voting for them is going to get us somewhere? They, they don't have right. to. If you, take, if you take money from a black man and don't deliver, he'll kill you. He'll bust your head. So if they knew that if they took money, campaign contributions from us, and didn't deliver on promises that they made, they would be killed. Right. And money matter, we're racing the clock here, and we got to take a break real soon. So I want to give Dr. Taylor a chance to respond yeah, to what quickly, you said. I mean, I think, I think Biden can show he's done a lot. Uh, you know, Biden might be old, but he's been very effective. He's been one of the most effective presidents. Again, I'm not a Democrat, so don't read into my mouth that I'm, I'm on that side. I'm a political scientist who analyzes the data, and the data show that Biden has given $17 billion with a B to the HBCUs. Um, you know, the Build Back Better plan and the Inflation Reduction Act, they have money specifically for black people named in those plans. We just don't open the plans and read them. But there's $17 billion coming to the black colleges of America through Biden. Now, that, that's reparations without the words. But, but problem, the problem with giving us programs that are, the alt, that are like reparations but not actually called reparations is that it doesn't deal with the injury, the crime against our black humanity and the original offense. So you can't just give us a, a, a program called, like London Breed does, a Dream Keepers Initiative, and, and think, oh, they'll settle for that instead of reparations. No, reparations is about restorative justice. It's about recognition. It's about apology. It's about, you know, fixing what you broke. And, um, and, and so that's why I think it's important to, to make sure we use the right language. Um, uh, you know, and I think the other thing I want to make sure we get in before we, we have to stop is that you know, black people have strongly supported the Democrats, but it has not been reciprocated uh, to the extent that they have supported it. And so I can point to five or $17 billion that Biden has earmarked for HBCUs, but what's he doing for the neighborhoods, you know, and the yeah. communities? And, and, and don't get me wrong, there are programs, but the idea of transforming black lives in the way that reparations would is not in these plans. And so the brother says he thinks white folk would riot uh, if black people got reparations. I completely disagree. I think it'd be the happiest day in American history because white people would finally have the burden of their white supremacist history lifted. Not that it would be absolved, but we will at least shift the burden to us to really forgive for their inhuman crimes against our humanity. So it would take a whole lot but if reparations was granted, not given, granted, then it would change the relationship between black people and the police in America. Right. Hold that thought right there, Doc. We got to take a quick break here. Uh, last look, a break, but uh, I'll let you finish your response when we come back. We still got a bunch of folks who want to talk to you. 800 450 7876. 26 minutes away from the top. I'll be back in four minutes, though, right here in Baltimore on 1010 WOLB and also in the DMV on FM 95.9 and AM 1450. WOL, where information is power. Good morning again, family. Thanks for rolling with us this morning. Interesting morning so far. Before we go back to Dr. Taylor, though, let me just remind our Baltimore listeners that the Vision and Mission 2024 for Baltimore City meeting is going to take place at 5.30 this evening and at the Lord's uh, Church Outreach Center. That's uh, 5020 Park Heights Avenue. All the folks are going to be over there, including uh, uh, Dr. Powers is going to be over there as well, and um, Minister Andrew and all the fellows out there coming up, trying to reach a consensus on what the problems are in Baltimore 
and how to solve these some of the problems that are facing the city. Also, later this week, we're going to hear from a Morgan State professor, Dr. Ray Wimbush, Dr. of Clinical Psychology, uh, Jeff Menzies, and the President General of the Universal African People's Organization, Brother Zaki Baruti. So if you're in Baltimore, make sure your radio's locked in tight on 1010 WOLB. If you're in the DMV, we're on FM 95.9 and AM 1450 WOL. Let's take some more calls for Dr. Taylor. Dr. Taylor, very popular man. A lot of folks want to talk to you. Jay's in New York. He's on line three. Good morning, Jay. Hey, happy New Year's to you, Carl, and Dr. Taylor. Happy New Year's to you. Good morning. Listen, the bottom line is this. McDonald's is not new to chicken. So maybe stop questioning that chicken cred and get your hands on the McCrispy. Juicy fried chicken, buttery bun, unmatched pickle to chicken ratio. Yeah, they know what they're doing. In fact, we can honestly say they're not new to chicken. They're true to chicken. The McCrispy. Only at McDonald's. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. We're never going to get reparations in this country because, number one, we're in no position to make white people give us reparations in this country. We manufacture nothing. We produce nothing. We basically are, you know, at the point of facing extinction in this country because of the simple fact we have no allies, we have no friends. As you said earlier, all relationships are one-sided. And the thing is, those that are in position to move us forward in this country are not doing it because of their love for white folks and wanting to integrate for white folks. So where as we as a people going to move forward and realize that we have to collectively come together, those that are supposedly Republicans and those that are supposedly Democrats or independent or whatever you are, have to get an African value system. Until we do that, it's basically heading for extinction for black people in this country because of the simple fact other ethnic groups are coming together. Other ethnic groups are building institutions and doing the necessary thing to survive. So when you talk about reparations, Dr. Taylor, tell me what do we have in place to make these white people give us reparations and the only way i'll leave you with this that we'll ever get reparations is if this economy crashes and they need to get the money back in 30 days all right thanks that that, that last point you make is a really good point you know if they needed you know cash infusion and stimulus just like they had under covid when they you know gave up the, the the ppp um that was a lot of stimulus that was a lot of money. Um, but I want to be clear and correct something in our whole conversation and in our thinking about reparations in 2024, we need to remember every state and county and city that was here during the entire period of slavery is still here. New York, Connecticut, Pennsylvania, Alabama, Georgia, uh, New Jersey, Florida, uh, 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 Arkansas, every slave state, every slave county that ever existed is still here. So white people are irrelevant to reparations, and we're giving them, it's not that we don't have power, brother, you're giving them too much power by you focusing on white people when white people were never mentioned in California reparations or in San Francisco reparations. We didn't discuss white people. You know why? Because they ain't got nothing to do with this. 
This is what the government did to its citizens or to its subjects over time. And it's well documented. Again, in in California, at the California level, the document is 1,100 pages. In San Francisco, it's 300 pages, 1,400 pages of documented evidence that you can't even argue against. There is no argument that anybody in America can offer now against reparations. You just have to be racist and say no or be a Democrat and say no, but there's no longer a legitimate argument against reparations because, again, every state that was here is still here. So we don't need to talk about white people because we can't get reparations from individual white people. And that's where all these stupid games get played. What about, what about, what about, what about? Black people are so far along past the what about questions with reparations that we aren't even answering them anymore. What about the Indians? We don't know. What about um, the gays? We don't know. Well, what about the Japanese in terms? We don't know. You know why? Because those are the games and the stupid questions. They have held us up for 60 years of, with reparations. It's always bringing up somebody else's case. And we don't need to worry about anybody else. Nobody else. We, not the Palestinians or anybody else. We need to focus on black America. And when we do that, capitalism it, it, it potentially what we have in place is the fact that all of the uh, um, the injury is well documented um, about what happened to black America, not just here. And, and on top of this, brother, it's inspired reparations programs all over the country. New York State has joined California as the two states in America with reparations at the state level. But we've had reparations set up in, in different cities that are emerging. So if London Breed says no, and if San Francisco says no, you'll be a fool to think we're going to stop. We're not going to stop. I told you, we're meeting. We're still implementing. We had about 111 items in our city-level proposal. So we're trying to get as many of those 111 things done that we can. The biggest thing for everybody, of course, is cash stimulus. And that's the controversy. Um, but I think reparations changes the relationship between black people and capitalism permanently. It changes the relationship between black people and the police in America because the police police the poor. It changes the relationship between black people and white people in this sense. Yes, economically, we are no longer at the bottom automatically. So reparations is not a panacea and a fix-all, and we still will have some of the problems we have as a people, but it will go a long way in transforming uh, the living conditions of black people in Baltimore. All right. Hold that thought right there, Doc. We got some more folks want to talk to you. 14 away from the top. Nkosi's calling from Chicago. Good morning, Nkosi. Jumbo, my brothers. Uh, Jumbo, brothers. The first point is that Lloyd Austin, the only reason an employee wants to hide the fact that he's ill from his employer is because he fears the response of the employer. On Brandon Johnson and Eric Adams, uh, early in the uh, immigrant crisis, they were quite vociferous about uh, these immigrants being sent to the two cities. Shortly after that, the news media, at the behest of the powers that be, circulated the cons- uh, the, uh, uh, the fact that, well, I guess it's a fact, that uh, Eric Adams had uh, sexually assaulted someone and that Eric Adams was taking money from Turkey. Right. Then you haven't heard anything else about it because both Brandon and Eric have toned down their responses to the immigrants. 
Uh, On uh, you made the statement, brother, that Democrats love war. For the sake of clarification for the layman, I think that uh, we need to mention that since Citizens United declared that uh, corporation and industries were persons and uh, had freedom of speech with their money, and that's when politicians in mass started getting kickbacks from uh, 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 industries like the military industrial complex, Radeon, Boeing, Northrop. Uh, right. Since then, yeah, and of course, we're putting a question for him. going to respond because we're racing the clock. We yeah, still got a bunch of folks got questions for him. Who are getting this money uh, might be getting these kickbacks. Does this have anything to do with the statement that Democrats love war? Yeah, it goes back to the history. It it goes back to Harry Truman, uh, you know, uh, uh, Franklin Delano Roosevelt with World War II, um, uh, Woodrow Wilson, World War I, um, all the way up to Vietnam, where you had both parties. uh, But Lyndon Johnson got us in there with the Gulf of Tonkin. So the major wars, uh, apart from the Gulf War with Bush and Bush, uh, and, you know, the, the, what's going on in the Middle East, the, the Middle East has mostly been re- Republican wars, but in Europe, going back in history, they were mostly Democrats. So that's what I meant by that. But, but, but aside from that, Carl, one point I want to get in about our original discussion, going back to Cap Williams and um, Uncle Shea Shea, um, is that what they did teach us, much like Kathy Hughes, is if you have black ownership, you are able to speak more freely about issues. So Cat Williams owns all his stuff. That's why he was able to speak the way he does without worrying about repercussions. But so also does, um, does uh, the host, um, I don't know why I'm stuck on his name right now, Shannon Sharp. Shannon Sharp, Shannon yeah. Sharp, Shannon Sharp owns his, his platform. So those are two black men speaking completely freely with a little bit of brown liquor because they owned. They knew they would still have their jobs when they walked out of that room. And that's not something that most of these black Democrats can do. They can't be independent and free and be critical because the, the, the party structure would destroy them in a day. It wouldn't take a half a day for the party to destroy them. And we see it done all the time, the way the party did Bernie, you know, in Nevada back right. in the day. But, but again, you know, it comes back to the fact that what, one of the takeaways we should get from, from Cat Williams, apart from every, apart from the content, is that the platform that he was on was owned by black a black man and he owned his own so two black men were able to speak more freely on their own platforms and that's what i think we're going to see more and more happening with young people is trying to find ways over the next 20 to 30 years how to break away from certain control over our people in the industry and i think what we're seeing with all this chaos all of this you know publicity all this pop culture gossip from T.D. Jakes to Pop Daddy to Cat Williams is all related to that, that, that happening in the future. I think Kanye saying the blunt things he said that upset everyone was necessary to expose the unfair relationship, and we have to continue to agitate for ownership of our own art, our own art production, our own images, our own platforms. And that's what Cat Williams said and, 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 Sh- and Shannon Sharp showed us for 2024. Be independent if you can. Claude Anderson, Dr. Anderson's concern is that we don't own anything. And one of the things we need to make the Democrats do is fund black media, black journalism, black right. uh, platforms, black radio, black TV need to be funded by the Democrats real quickly. When they come into town running some campaigns, they invest millions into media. 
And, they, and the Democrats have done a poor job over the last 20 years of investing in black uh, media. And that's what we have to encourage them to do, because that is how we build an infrastructure in our community. All right. Nine away from the top. Yeah. And Paul's uh, hooked up back with us from uh, the UK, calling from London. He's on line three. Um, Paul, can you make it quick for us? Thank you, Bob, uh, crazy for taking my call. Uh, just to say this, your guest just is just electric, man. The energy he brings and the way he articulates reparation and he defends it is so superb. It's all it's inspiring. And I'm all the way across the pond, but I tell you, I just had to leave what I had to do just to make this call and just to Thank you. pop him up and say, brother, just keep up that energy, man. It's just so inspiring. Take you. Absolutely. Thank you. All right, thanks, Paul. I also got a question for uh, Dr. Taylor. People want to know if you have, uh, if you put out any daily or monthly reports that they can read. I, I don't. I'm, I'm too busy writing, uh, and I'm, I'm not trying to be popular. I don't have a big online presence. I, you are probably the, the, the greatest opportunity I have to reach people is through your show over the years. But I personally don't really care about my own celebrity and popularity. You might know Mark Lamont Hill, and I got started at the same place in the same time. He blew up. He's famous. Nobody knows me outside of the Carl Nelson show. And I'm fine with that because I, I, I'm not here for anything other than the elevation of black people. The only thing I care about in life is the elevation of black people. I don't even care about my own life. I care about the elevation of black people breaking free once and for all under these demonic colonial circumstances that we have to break. And one of the ways we break them is through our own ownership. We have to recognize we are in a colonial circumstance. We are surrounded in, our, in the American jungle, but we still got to find ways to survive and thrive. And there's nobody like us who can do it. Who? I mean, even the indigenous people have been wiped out. We were brought here. And, and I heard Huey Newton say the other day, they, they should be afraid of us because they didn't kill off all the weak ones. The last the only black people who are living now are the surviving black people of the world for the past 500 years. So that's who you're dealing with in the 21st century. And you know who's not dying out? Black people. You know who's not dying out um, around America? Black people. But you know who is? White America is dying at a scary rate in 33 of 50 American states. They're dying faster than they're being born. But black America is having a baby born. So I want right. us to be clear that the future is bright. But we got to prepare for it. All right. And, and Dr. Taylor, we got to run. We're just flat out of time. Can we follow you on social media? James Taylor, 1699 on Instagram. James Taylor, 1699. All right. Thanks, Dr. Taylor. Thank you. All right, family. We're done. We're running late. Stay strong. Stay positive. Please stay healthy. We'll see you tomorrow morning, 6 o'clock, right here in Baltimore on 1010 WOLB and also in the DMV on FM 95.9 and AM 1450 WOL where information is power.